is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. What are you talking about? No, it's not him. There is only one more. There is only one more. There is, that's not it. One more. Get arrest! No! They saw your team put up zero effort. Wake up! Remember in the old days they used to have oxygen for them. Where's the oxygen? They play like absolute just garbage. <laughs> this is the Sports Loud Mouth. Yay! Man, can you keep it down? I'm trying to introduce here. With Errol Marks and Speedy Beanie. You're not even a has-been. You're a never was. You're a never was. You're a never was. We are back, ladies and gentlemen, as you know. We are the Sports Loud Mouths. You can call us at 631-672-3108. You can go to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Download our app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Speedy Petey, what is going on, my friends? Well, very excited. We have a very special returning guest today that I, I certainly had a lot of fun with. A lot of these former football players bring up these great interviews, and there's certainly one that did so just that. But beyond that, I'm doing all right. I've been busy, but busy is a good thing. And, and, and for this network, for this growing network, this growing show, it's remarkable. It is remarkable, and we obviously have a very – Unbelievable show lined up for you guys today. At 9.45, we'll be talking to former NFL safety and founder of Sneakerhead University, Antoine Harris. He will be joining us. And at 10.30, we'll be talking to Fangraph senior writer Dan Zimbariski. Or Zimbariski, okay? And <laughs> that name is long, baby. <laughs> oh, you should see the real spelling of it. It's like Coach Case. <laughs> and at 11, at 11 o'clock, we'll be talking to... Alabama TV show, The Overtime with Gerard and Mark Everett Kelly. They will be joining us. It'll be an interesting show. A lot of banter. We're also going to get into, obviously, the New York Yankees losing a very important game. Well, it's not very important. It's six games into the season, and it was Vladimir Guerrero 6, Yankees 4. We will get into why Vladimir Guerrero was robbed. Yes, robbed for the MVP last year. I've been saying this over and over again all offseason, so we'll get into that in just a few moments. We'll get into the NBA as the playoffs are about to begin. Uh, where do some of these teams line up as as we talk about the Phoenix Suns and the Golden State Warriors and in the Eastern Conference, the Heat? There are stories coming out that uh, the Heat are destined and, and they expect to be a championship competitive team this year. Jimmy Butler, uh, stories coming out from his team that if they don't go to the finals this year and have a chance to win, he might be asking a way out mm-hmm. of Miami. So very interesting. Uh, we will get into uh, Kyla Murray. I mean, I mean, this is a story too. Kyla Murray, uh, who has been expecting a long-term deal. It doesn't seem like that's happening right now. Arizona is not willing to give him that extension. Uh, Derek Carr gets the extension. And yes, the honey bachelor is, is, <laughs> is out and about. And there are just stories coming out that he might be going to the Rams. So who, who would have thought that, Bobby Wagner and the Honey Bachelor is uh, heading over there to the Rams. So maybe he just wants to go to L.A. for to be on the set I, of The Bachelor. Who maybe, knows? Uh, who knows? I, I mean, obviously, we, we've been saying this for a long, long time. These teams and these players, they're looking to go to teams and, and bring uh, players like this 
to their team to win a championship. And it's very interesting, and we will get into it a little bit later in the show. And like I said, we have a ton of guests. But I really want to get into this Vladimir Guerrero situation. And Vladimir Guerrero last night showed you why. He's one of the best players in the league. He's only 23 years old. He's the youngest player last night to be four for four, three home runs in a game. Uh, He was fantastic. He even had his hand stepped on by uh, Aaron Hicks in the second inning. Still played. Still hit two home runs. What's interesting about last year's MVP voting, and and listen, I am not going to take away how great Shea Otani was. He was fantastic. He really was. You cannot take away his talent and his ability as a pitcher. But what Vladimir Guerrero did last year, he almost won the Triple Crown. Now, he didn't win the Triple Crown. Statistically, he led almost every important offensive, offensive statistic in the top 10. It was, it was just remarkable. And the fact that Sheo Otani, ladies and gentlemen, was the outwitting uh, number one first vote getter, or whatever you want to call it, uh, he he won in uh, 30 what what was it last 30 night? out of 30 first place votes 30 out of 30 first place votes he won the mvp now out of all those writers all the people voting for first place votes how could you not how could you not give vladimir guerrero not one first place vote if you look at the statistics, and I will bring up the statistics, and I, I know everybody says it's not about statistics. It's also about uh, what positions they play, uh, how good of a player he is at his position. Otani's a great pitcher. There's no question that he is. But what he did last year as an offensive player was remarkable. For, what do you have, 48 home runs? Uh, he 46 home runs to Vladimir Guerrero's 48 home runs. Okay? Let's look at these statistics because it, it really bothers me when – People look at these statistics, and they don't really value these statistics like we do. Hitting stats, RBIs, Vladimir Guerrero had 111 RBIs last year, which was tied for sixth in a league last year, to Otani's 100 RBIs, which is tied for 18th. We all know he's a pitcher. We will get into his pitching statistics, which that everybody was blown away with, which I don't understand, because when we look at his statistics, it doesn't really stand out on why he won the MVP of, all, of the major leagues. Batting average, 311, which was fourth in the MLB, second in the American League. Batting average for Shea Otani, 257, which was 86th in the MLB and 45th in the American League. Walks, 86 For Vladimir Guerrero, 296 of Otani. Now, I'm just going, I'm not going to go through all these statistics, but it is, it's it's definitely appealing when you look at these numbers and you you say that this guy, Shea Otani, was all in all the MVP of the league. 30, 30 votes of first ballot, first number one votes. Now, I look at the slugging percentage. It really doesn't matter. 601 to 592. On-base percentage is very important. Uh, 1.002 to uh, Vladimir Guerrero and .964, which was fifth in all of the league by Otani. Everybody talks about Otani being the Babe Ruth of baseball. That's what he's the next Babe Ruth. And Babe Ruth, we all know what he did as a pitcher with the Boston Boston Red Sox. He came to the, the Yankees and he never played. He never was a pitcher again. 
And I, I'm looking, and I, I know, Speedy, you look at numbers and you try to stick. We stick to numbers a lot on this show because numbers are important. Here, here is Otani's stats as a starting pitcher last year. He had 23 starts, which was 87th, tied for 87th in the, 87th in the MLB. Tied for 41st in all of the American League. Wins, 9, which was 55th in the MLB, 29th in the American League. ERA, 3.18, tied for 24th in the MLB, 10th in the American League. WHIP, 1.09, tied for 23rd in the MLB, 11th in the American League. Uh, Opponents batting batting average was .205, which was 13th in the MLB, 6th in the American League. Walks, 44, which was 64th in the MLB. Strikeouts 156. You see what I'm getting out? I'm going through numbers, and I'm, I'm staring at numbers. And I know a lot of people are going to say numbers don't really show who Otani was and who Otani is. But here's another thing. Vladimir Guerrero last year was 22 years old. 22. This is a man or a young kid that is only going to grow as an MLB superstar. And Otani's 27, and that doesn't take away from what he did. But when you look at the voting, and I've been saying this over and over and over again, it is not fair. These writers are not fair. I've been saying this over and over again. Albert Bell, if you look at his statistics, six years, that is one of the best six years of an MLB player we've ever seen. I mean, this is a man that should be in the Hall of Fame. That's not in the Hall of Fame because the baseball writers never liked him. We talk about players like Jeff Kent, who's one of the best second basemen of all time, defensively and offensively. Is he in the Hall of Fame? No. Why not? Because the baseball writers don't like him. Now, again, you, you could go back and forth and you could say Shea Otani, is, it was one of the, he was the best player in the league last year. You could say that. We can argue that. But for the fact that Vladimir Guerrero didn't get first place votes last year in the MLB voting for MVP, it's, it's not fair. It's ridiculous. The writers are completely wrong. And I know he's a pitcher, and I know he's a first baseman. And I, how, many, how many times did he play in the field last year? 133. 133 times. Now, you can't, now he's not a gold glove winner, okay? He's not a Joey Gallo. He, but Joey Gallo can't hit like him. He's not a DJ LeMayu. But this is a man that had a chance, what, 30, 40 games left in the season to win a triple crown. And, to, and for the writers not to give him the respect that he deserved at the end of the season. If anybody did not watch the Yankee game last night, well, you're missing, to me, one of the best players in all of league. He's 23 years old. One of the best players, one of the best hitting players he was one of the best hitting prospects coming out of uh, the Blue Jays farm system. Mm-hmm. And we look at his father, Vladimir Guerrero, where everybody says Vladimir Guerrero Jr. will never be as good as his father. That's a, that's a lie. Vladimir Guerrero never, at any point in his career, had a chance to win a Triple Crown. His son... <laughs> His son had a chance at the age of 22, his second season as a major league player, to win a Triple Crown. 
Now, I'm not taking shots at Vladimir Guerrero. To me, he's one of the best outfielders we've ever seen defensively. He had, he had a gun for an arm. The only player that I thought had a better arm than he did in the outfield at the time he was playing was Ichiro Suzuki. But I, I just don't understand these baseball voters, Speedy. It really bothers me. It's stressful. when, And I'm a baseball fan. And I'm not going to throw any of these riders under the bus because uh, Shea Otani won the MVP last year. I'm not going to do that. He's a pitcher. Fantastic. Wonderful story. Really wonderful. How many wins did Anaheim have last 77. year? 77. How many wins did the Blue Jays have? 91. Now, yes, the Blue Jays have a better lineup. They had one of the best American League pitchers in the league who won the Cy Young last year. But isn't the word most valuable player the most valuable player to your team, the the player that's going to help you the best to try to make the playoffs? They weren't even close to the playoffs. They weren't even the best team in their division. That's the problem. If you want to call them MPP, and what does that stand for, Speedy? NPP. MPP. Not most valuable player. Most most popular player. Most <laughs> popular player. That's what he is. He was the most popular player throughout the season. Now, actually, that leads to a good question. Uh, shout out to CJ D. Simone. Hope you're doing well, CJ. Uh, he has a good question in the comments section. Did you think? Do you think that Otani winning the MVP was nothing but a publicity stunt? Absolutely. Absolutely. Everybody called him the Babe Ruth of baseball. The next, you know, Babe Ruth. How many times have we seen a pitcher hit like Otani? The last player to do that was Babe Ruth. So I do think it was a publicity stunt. Now, that doesn't mean that Shea Otani doesn't deserve the respect. That doesn't mean that Shea Otani wasn't one of the best players in the league last year. But what bothers me is when I watch Vladimir Guerrero do what he did last night with two stitches in his finger, hitting three home runs against a very good pitching roster. You had Garrett Cole, one of the best pitchers in baseball, okay? He couldn't strike him out. He was doing everything he can. He was throwing 97-mile-per-hour fastballs inside, and he's smacking the ball. Then Jonathan Lewisica is one of the best bullpen pitchers in baseball. He threw a 97-mile-per-hour slider inside to his hands. He smacks it to the, 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 what was it, second deck? Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that Shea Otani doesn't deserve the respect for who he is as a player. I'm saying that Shea Otani was loved by all the writers because it's a great story. I mean, we had, we had a couple of clips picked for a documentary for the World Series from Fox. They reached out to us. They loved our back-and-forth banter for MVP for Shea Otani and Vladimir Guerrero. They loved it. They put it in their documentary. Thank you, Fox, by the way. We have our first guest. Who do we got? Jeff. Oh, our first call. What's going on, Jeff? Dude, you, you argue things that are ridiculous. You're, I'm arguing let's, things let's, that are ridiculous. Let's, let's, let's start point by point here. First of all, you go, most valuable player, shouldn't that be the guy that helps his team get to the playoffs? Mm -hmm. Like a genius forgetting that Anthony Rendon and Mike Trout were out all last year. Maybe that would have helped, too, get them to the playoffs. Like, you, you try to skew the argument in your favor, ignoring some of the blatant things that, like, happened 
to keep that from happening. You're also ignoring a 9.1 war for Otani was six points higher than anybody else last year. Anybody, including Vlad Guerrero? Vlad Guerrero, is a, he's an everyday player. That's another thing. And don't say oh he's an everyday God. player. Do not say Shea Otani is an everyday play player. Every he's a DH. Play I'm sorry? Do DHs play every day? Yeah, they play every day. He's a hitter. And he's an everyday player. Um, I, he doesn't play the field every day. That does not matter. It, so, it, to so, me, it does. So, so, so if Vlad Guerrero doesn't play the field every day either, sometimes he DHs as well when he needs like a little bit of rest. Vlad so, played 133 games at first base last year. Right. And then the others, what? DH? Uh, one game a third, and then every every other game was a DH. Oh, there you go. Well, doesn't count. A hundred and sixty-two games. A hundred and sixty-two games, Je- uh, Jeff. He played the field. One hundred and thirty-three. How, how many strikeouts did he have? How many strikeouts did he have? One hundred ten. No, no, no. When, when he pitched, when Guerrero pitched, how many strikeouts did he have? Oh, oh. So because he's not a pitcher, because he's not a pitcher, oh, it's not so as impressive. Not a third baseman, so that doesn't count either. Jeff, you're going to tell me right now, because he's not a pitcher, it's not as impressive when you had a chance with 40 games left to almost have a triple crown, and he had what? He was in a slump for five, six games at the end of the season? It is more impressive to be a a pitcher and a DH. How many other guys do it? None. Okay, so we we gave you his pitching numbers, and they didn't stand out at all. Being a pitcher pitcher is far more more What was so impressive? Third baseman. What was so impressive about his pitching last year, Jeff? He was he was in the top twenty. Uh, really? Wait, hold on. No, he was in the top twenty. There's certain stuff. Hold on. Here we go. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was. Let's see. Hold I'm on. waiting. Let me find it. Hold on. You just gotta let me find it. Okay, you I'm, find I'm it. He had 23 starts, which was 87th in the league. Nine wins, which is 55th in the league. ERA 3.18, which was 24th in the league. WHIP 1.09, which was tied right. for 23rd in the MLB. Opponents with, batting with, average. I, I'm with going those at least, with those of at least 120 innings. He ranked in the top 14 in strikeout percentage, top 19 percent in, in opponent slugging percentage. Top 16% in expected fielding independent pitching. All told, he was worth a 9.1 baseball reference war. Okay. Okay, so we're going to choose. In the sport. Okay, so we're going to choose the MVP because of war. That, a, a statistic now, and on, an analytic statistic that came out five years right. ago. So, so this is how you try to skew the argument. You go, well, look What's at doing any argument. I give you a, and then I give you a number that you don't like, and you go, oh, but that's only one number. Jeff, I'm not going to sit here and skew anything. I'm I'm looking at all purpose statistics that are that stand out when you're looking at baseball numbers. Not, and if I'm, you're looking I'm, at baseball yeah. numbers, Jeff, right? War is a new baseball number. That's fine. You want to say? And by the way, nine point one is higher than any other player in any other season ever. Okay, so so that gives you the all-purpose thought that he is the MVP of all of baseball. That that number, that that war number that stands out, which is the best of all time, that's the reason why he was the MVP? No, it's because he, dude, first of all, the, the, the batting number. You're going to tell me. Hold on, hold Jeff. Hold on. Before you I ask me a question and then you cut cause, me off. Because it, it's, it's bothering me that you're saying these things and you're sitting here. There's no way he should have had 30 votes of uh, of first uh, first number one ballot. What, what, what is it again? Right, I'm 30 sorry. Out of 30. Yeah, 30 out of 30. First place votes. First place Everybody votes. Everybody voted for him. Yeah, which doesn't make any sense when Vladimir Guerrero had one of the best statistic numbers uh, for a baseball right, player right, in five right, years. 20, 
Right, Guerrero got 29 of 30 second place votes. Everyone thought Ooh. he was second. Go ahead, Jeff. I'm letting you speak. You don't want me to cut you off. Go ahead. Right. So the the hitting numbers were virtually identical. Virtually identical. No, they he's weren't. Like, he's off by like a home run or two. Uh, you want, I'll give you a number that, that isn't even close. Because the batting average, Guerrero beat him in batting average pretty good. You want to know where Otani beats Vlad Guerrero? What? By a million? What? Stolen bases. Oh. Do, do you see Stolen how bases, heavy? 25, 25 stolen bases to what? Zero. Zero. Vladimir Guerrero is like 290 pounds, 280 pounds. He's not stealing okay. any bases, okay? <laughs> also, in that lineup, you really want to steal bases with all the talent around you? <laughs> exactly. Come on. Right, you don't want to waste outs that way with Bo Bichette right, hitting right. next or Hernandez or whoever it is. Right. But again, this is why people had to pitch to Guerrero, right? There was no one in that Angels lineup for him to get those kind of numbers, right? Like, that's a super impressive to put up the numbers that the only hitter, first of all, without Rendon and Trout in that lineup, the rest of that lineup is actual doggy doo-doo. They're terrible. All right, I want to bring up, bring up Carl's comment. It was ahead, actually, pretty, it. actually pretty good. Um, so he says that Vlad Guerrero deserved more leverage because Chris Bryant won MVP in his second year in 2016. Whether he's saying Otani will win or not is another question, but whether he deserves at least some votes, Absolutely. maybe Vlad, Vlad deserved it in that case. So Chris Bryant, and his numbers were better than Chris Bryant's in everything, right, really. Right, 39 home runs, 102 RBIs for Bryant that year in comparison to uh, 48 and uh, 111. Vlad is better batting average by almost 20 20 points, better on base percentage by 16 points, better OPS by 70-something. So, yeah, I, I would say even Vlad's, Vlad's year was right. better pretty much that's, all around all, than that. That's all well and good, but MVP goes year to year, and you can't compare one MVP year to another because they're different that's fair. seasons. That, no, I know. Vlad Jr. will probably win MVP and, in probably much every it, other year. It, it just, exactly. You can't fault a dude because another dude had an extremely exceptional – first of all, they both had exceptional years. They both had terrific years, right? But you can't go, oh, well, he wins because oh, Chris Bryant – He shouldn't have – Jeff, numbers. he shouldn't have had 30 number one votes – from all the writers, that that is not oh, fair. Okay. That okay. that's not yeah. no. That's right. Okay, everybody right. Is wrong okay, right. Everybody, yeah. literally everybody is wrong except for you. Yeah, because if you look at the writers, half the players. Yeah. I just Jeff, Jeff. I'm not going to argue back and forth. This is not. Uh, I'm not going to go back and forth the whole show, yelling at you and going back about Otani and Vladimir Guerrero. <laughs> My argument right now is Vladimir Guerrero. Deserved a lot more respect last year after the season ended. He should have been the MVP. He some respect. He's finished second in MVP voting. How is that not getting any respect? <laughs> second place. He had better numbers in almost every uh, offensive statistic, and that's what we're looking at. That's why he was. That's why Otani right, won. And that's why. And that's why you argue Vlad Guerrero because you don't argue the fact that Vlad Guerrero is terrible in the field, and it's extremely difficult. He was not terrible sure. in the field. I'm he was gonna... actually above average for first baseman. Now, granted, there aren't a lot of great defensive first baseman, but there are some and defensive statistics defensive statistics he was above average in and above well, average. Yes, and one of the more important ones runs saved, he was in the top five for okay. first base. Right. And right, so you're going above average, which is above fifty percent. In most pitching statistics, Otani is in the top twenty percent. It's extremely hard to be a good pitcher, and he was. 
Listen, Jeff, uh, I'm not going to spend the whole show on talking about Otani and Vladimir Guerrero. I wanted to come into this, and I wanted to get into this subject because it bothered me last night when I watched Vladimir Guerrero just completely smack the Yankees. And and, and last night has nothing to do with last night. I understand. But Vladimir Guerrero— More of a commentary on on how bad Garrett Cole is without spider attack. Okay. (laughs) How many players in history— how many players in history? How about how many players in the last 15 years had even the the numbers to win a triple crown than Vladimir Guerrero did last Probably year? Probably Miguel Cabrera That's was it. the closest one. That's it. That's it. When he and actually how, won the triple and how, crown. And how old was Miguel Cabrera when he won the triple crown? 32, I believe. 32. How old is Vladimir Guerrero? 23. He was 22 last year, okay? So, that so, is more so, impressive. So age factors, so Absolutely. Age how impressive Absolutely. <laughs> classic. Okay, it's classic. Thanks, Jeff, for calling me. It is. It's Thank hilarious you. that, like, that's the art. Oh, you did it at 23, so I'm right, and the rest of the world is wrong. I, I didn't Martin say, Smart listen, my argument, I have a good argument because Vladimir Guerrero deserved more votes and more first yeah. ballot yeah. votes than he got. I, I agree. Your argument is the runner up argument. Yeah. It's okay. second best. Thank you, Jeff. Jeff from Tampa, ladies and gentlemen. He'll he'll go and he'll argue with me for the whole night. And I'm not going to stay on this subject forever. What bothers me is I, I just think Vladimir Guerrero deserved a little bit more respect. And even some of the people that are listening to us and actually uh, giving you uh, and sending us messages are telling you that he deserves some respect. He didn't get the respect that he deserved last year. And, and, and that's why I, I, I wanted to get into this for the first topic of the show is because what I saw Vladimir Guerrero do, did last night against the New York Yankees was fantastic. It was absolutely fantastic. And it shows you how special of a player he is. 23 years old, 4 for 4 three home runs in Yankee Stadium. And, and, and he, had his, he had two stitches put in into his hand. For, for a hand, that's probably one of the biggest in baseball with his size. I mean, it's just, it's ridiculous. And I know it's its different years. I, I know that's what we're going to get into. It's different years. And I, I keep messing up that there were 30, 30 uh, ballot votes for first place. And yes. I keep messing that up. But I, I, I will say this. He deserved more first place votes than he got. And, and I just think it was wrong for the writers. And that's why I think with, with the voting and these writers, we, we've... I've I've attacked some of these writers. How many times we've oh, had baseball writers are easily the stingiest for whatever reason. They're horrible. <laughs> I mean, David Ortiz got into the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. He made it to the Hall of Fame. Was he ever caught with PEDs? Yeah, he was. He was obviously caught in that. Uh, what, what was that? Um, I forget. What, I forget the name of it too. Yes. But nevertheless, the hypocrisy was the fact that Edgar Martinez. It took forever for him to get in, and and he, he was a better he, DH and, than uh, David Ortiz. And. Regardless of if better or not, he was just as good where he wasn't caught with anything. He still played for a long time. And he kind of, I would say, helped revolutionize the position at that time and helped mainly save the Seattle Mariners. They almost went bankrupt. We were talking about it yesterday, with the, or Tuesday with the Seahawks, yep. how they were forced to move. The Mariners were in that same kind of position, too, where they had to really save that. Ken Griffey Jr., Jay Buner, Edgar Martinez, that whole core saved the baseball in Seattle. And he, it took him way too many tries to get in the Hall of Fame, and David Ortiz gets in it right away. So you're right. They definitely kind of play favorites to some extent. Now, to answer your question, CJ, I don't know how much of a publicity stunt it is comparatively, just because Vlad Jr. is a popular player, too. So it's not like somebody that's, like, lesser known got disrespected, like this guy that flies under the radar. You don't think he was disrespected but, last year? But, yeah, a unanimous seems like a huge stretch for that kind of thing, where I, I was thinking it might be more 20 to 10 first place votes, maybe even 23, to, uh, 17 to 13 or something like that. You would see more first place votes where it was split that way. 
So it's definitely surprising that it was unanimous, though. Uh, Snug, Snug says Otani was fourth in strikeouts for nine innings pitch with at least 100 innings He's pitched. always got Jeff's back. I, I don't want to hear it. it, it it's, it's crazy. You, you want to pick Otani? If everybody thinks Otani was the MVP, that's fine. That's your opinion. In my opinion, I feel that Vladimir Guerrero was the best player throughout the league all season long. If you look at statistics and what he did in the first half to the second half, he was the best overall player in the major leagues. Now, you, you say he's not a defensive player. He proved that he was in the upper echelon of defensive first basements in the major leagues. So you can't say he's not a decent first baseman. He is. So uh, you can't say that you can't argue that one is a pitcher and one's a defensive first baseman that he couldn't have won the MVP. So that's that was my argument. Uh, by the way, uh, the Yankees need to start playing better, especially that rotation. Now, Garrett Cole pitched very well yesterday. He really did. Uh, it's just great hitting for uh, obviously one of the best hitters in baseball, Vladimir Guerrero. And it was Vladimir Guerrero 6, Yankees 4. And Luizica, uh, he he uh, he probably pitched the best pitch the whole game. I mean, that slider inside on his hands was a fantastic pitch. How he hit it to the second deck is, is, is incredible. And that shows you how incredible of a player he is as a 23-year-old. Carl also says, uh, Ortiz won titles, Martinez didn't. That helped. Snug says, I don't know, Big Poppy won a World Series pretty much all by himself. Uh, Edgar Martinez never did that. And Carl says, Ortiz is a cult hero for winning World Series for Boston for the first time in 86 no years. No question that he was. Comparing that to saving baseball in Seattle, come on, Speedy. I'm not comparing the fact that that the influence wasn't there for the Red Sox either with all the pressure that they have. And I'm not even saying David Ortiz is worse than Edgar Martinez. I'm just saying it's close enough where Edgar Martinez shouldn't have had to wait six years to get in the Hall of Fame and David Ortiz got in right away. If, if Edgar Martinez got in maybe on his third try or something like that, okay, we're not having this conversation about the baseball writers being, I guess, picky with guys they like more. But the fact that one DH got in it t- right away and the other one, it took so long for them to get in. Yes, there's a positional discrepancy with that comparison to a, a comparison to a center fielder or a shortstop, something that's more of a premier position. Okay, I understand that because designated hitters took a while to come into baseball too. In nineteen, you know what we should do, Speedy? We should put Otani right now in the in the Hall of Fame. He should be a Hall of Famer right now. What he did last year was fantastic. Meanwhile, his statistics as a pitcher last year weren't even amongst the league's top twenty in the league. In almost every single, every important statistic, ERA, where was he ranked? 60th or 30th? He was 24th in baseball, 10th in the American League among pitchers with 20-plus starts. Okay. And, and how about Whip? Where was he ranked? Whip, he was tied for 23rd in Major League Baseball, 1.09, and then tied for 11th in the American League, also among pitchers. Is that MVP starts. quality? Well, yeah. It, I wouldn't say MVP in terms of winning a Cy Young. It depends on how you would think of— Why didn't he win the Cy Young? Because he wasn't close to the Carlos Rodon, okay. Lance Lynn, okay, so he, Robbie Ray, Garrett Cole. Because he hit 46 home runs, and because he hit it, he was what, 250? He was, a, he was he a 257 batting average. Okay, so he was 257. Because of his offensive numbers and his power numbers, he was the MVP? Uh, Carl says, this doesn't Carl, make sense. Carl says, calm down, Errol. We aren't putting Chris Bryan in the hall, and he won it every I'm day. Just, I'm, just trying, I'm just making a joke. It is pretty funny. No, no, no. We know it's a joke. I think Otani's legacy will be defined by how much of the other two-way influence it has, too, because now we're seeing a couple more of them come into the game. Now, whether they put up in a year like that is another question, but still, these kinds of things that with 
baseball becoming more versatile is definitely going to be something that's going to be developed more, or at least tried to be developed more in the minor leagues. I, I just think it, 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 I have so much passion when it comes to this because I see so many players in Major League history because of the writers. They're not, in, not even close into in going to the Hall of Fame. Not even close. Because these writers just don't like these players. And they say, you know what? Let's forget about what they did in the league. How special they were in, in a significant amount of time, in a great time of baseball. They never. Jeff Kent was playing in the time where there were steroids. Was Jeff Kent doing steroids? Come on. Was Jeff Kent doing steroids? He wasn't. He never got bigger. His forearms never got twice the, as big as it was with Barry Bonds. If you look at Barry Bonds' his, his forearms and his upper body when he played for Pittsburgh. Right, they were when, lean. They were lean. And then when he went, you know, two years later when he's playing for San Francisco, his forearms are twice the size. His head got bigger. His body, his waist got bigger. That, that, steroids. Okay? Uh, and I okay. Oh, I was gonna say, Carl said. So if all writers put Otani first and twenty nine out of thirty put Vlad second, how did they get it wrong? I think we were more judging the discrepancy of how many first place votes Otani got. I think it would have been. I was thinking it was going to be more in the range of twenty to ten or twenty two to eight or something like that. Where and then Vlad gets all all the other second place votes. I was just surprised because. Again, the drop-off wasn't significant enough where that kind of thing would have happened. And also, compared to some other MVP seasons, Vlad Jr. would have won in, I would say, probably almost all of them. I know. It doesn't make when sense. it comes to this decade. Outside of maybe Cabrera's, because that year, that year was very tremendous. Probably Mike Trout's first one in 2016. We haven't seen a hitting display like that from any hitter since Miguel Cabrera. Since Miguel Cabrera, yeah. when he won the Triple Crown. Okay? And he didn't win the MVP. He didn't get one first vote. He didn't get one number one vote. It was all second votes. Is that fair? I don't think it is fair. I, I, I don't, I'm not saying it's a, con- a conspiracy. I don't think it's anything like that. I just It bothers me when I watch this guy play. Every time I see this guy play on TV, I'm just amazed. He's a fantastic player. He really is. Uh, CJ says, 2A players are making a comeback because no one has seen them for a long, long time. Baseball is just recycling its past to appeal to the viewers of today. Well, here's the thing, though. you got to realize that a lot of these players, a lot of these young kids, these young fans didn't have ancestors that watched all this dead ball era type plays. Nobody, uh, nobody's seen Babe Ruth that's alive today. So they're trying to bring the, like, those kinds of concepts. Yes, you can watch it on videos and like past games on YouTube, whatever. But again, th- people love new concepts too. If you're trying to appeal to a, a casual fan or a new fan that's trying to get into baseball first t- for the first time, a guy that does both is a pretty cool concept. So I don't think that's oh, so, necessarily... So it's a cool concept. So you know what? He wins the MVP. It's cool. It's cool that he's a pitcher and he's a hitter. And he had an unbelievable slugging year as an offensive player. So he should win the MVP when he wasn't even anywhere as close when it comes to the statistic numbers of Vladimir Guerrero. Yeah, it, CJ, I, I think the term is not really recycling. It's maybe rebirthing a little more because I think they're trying something new with that kind of that kind of move with the Angels bringing in Otani the way they did. And that kind of player just, I guess, making a comeback. Because for a while, I mean, yeah, you had some p- great hitting pitchers in certain stretches, guys like Dontrell Willis and Carlos Zambrano that I can remember. And there were plenty more probably in the past, too, that were great. But not to the level that, obviously, Babe Ruth did. Babe, Babe Ruth was a top-five baseball player of all time, and a lot of people think is the greatest baseball player of all time. And his pitching numbers were insane for five different years, 2.44 ERA, 1.75, 201, 222, 297. So 
like he wasn't just a, a pitcher that could hit. He could be a dominant pitcher too. So that's that's more of what is trying to come back to that level more. I, all I'm saying is the baseball writers should look every single year before you make that vote. You look at every single number. Because baseball is all about statistics. In any sport, when we look at football, we look at hockey, we look at basketball, the statistics really stand out in baseball. Because there's so many different ways to look at a season and say, well, this guy had a better season than that guy. You know, So that's what really throws me off on how you give Otani 30 first ballot number one voting. Okay? You you don't do that. I, I just, it doesn't make sense. But before we get our, our first guest, Antoine Harris, and he, he'll be joining us in just a few moments, I, I do want to get into the New York Mets, who, for some reason, and, and I'm going to say this because I, I'm not a Mets fan, but I, I feel for the Mets fans, every single game, you're biting your nails all the way till the last pitch. And I know this bullpen isn't that good. We, we, we could go up and down this roster and this bullpen. It scares you from top to bottom. And why the Mets traded Castro to the Yankees when they needed that arm in that bullpen is beyond me. I know they needed left-handed pitching, but you don't trade the Yankees, one of your top right-handed power pitchers, in your bullpen for nothing. And the reason they needed lefties, they decided to let go of their best relief pitcher by far last year in Aaron Loop. Just let him walk in. Nothing happened. And then he signs for only, I think, less than $10 million at Anaheim. And they overpay a center fielder, uh, Marte. They overpay this guy. They overpay that guy. And uh, you're you're up. You you spent $800 million in two years. Thank you, Uncle Stevie. But to me, I look at I look at the Mets right now. If you're a Mets fan, I would absolutely be worried moving on through this season and worry not with the rotation because obviously Jacob Degrom will be back. Max Scherzer will figure things out. Bassett looks like he's a great pitcher for the Mets. He's been the best pitcher for the New York Mets, and they they have some good young arms in that rotation. And, and Walker, you know, he, he played very well in the first half and, and died down in the second half. And, and Carrasco, it's a hit or miss with him. He pitched well so far as first start, but we'll have to see long term because he's very injury prone, too. The one that's really stood out is Tyler McGill, though. He's had two very impressive starts to the year. Now, we'll see how they do against a better competition. Now, the Phillies are a great lineup. The Nationals aren't. So that's kind of neutral right now with the Mets. But the problem with the Mets with the bullpen so far has been their core guys still have not gotten it going yet, where you're expecting a bounce back from Define Lugo. core, Speedy. I mean, guys that are <laughs> pitching very often that have been around for a while and guys you expect to have a bigger role. Trevor May, so far he's been hurt, so I, I'll give him a little bit of a pass, but still he hasn't looked great. Seth Lugo was the best relief pitcher on the team in 2019 and 2018. So far has not looked good so far. And these other big names that have not found a role yet in this bullpen, it's very perplexing. And it's also the level of leads that they've blown, too. It's not like, all right, it's a one-run lead, all right, they tie the game, and then they walk it off. They've blown four-run leads and five-run leads so far. And yesterday they held on, but they were up 7-1, to one and the Phillies made it close. They made it a safe situation at the end of that game. So there's definitely some issues with these bigger leads. I don't know if it's overconfidence. I don't know if it's mismanagement so far. And uh, I, think, I think that's really a big concern. We have our second call of the day. Beav, what's going on, bud? What's up, man? How are you? I'm good, man. What would you like to talk about? Well, first of all, these these relievers they had no spring training so they're not fully ready yet so you can't go and you can't go and bash them right now you can't bash them right now 
They had no, a four run. They had a four run four run lead going into the ninth inning with two outs, yeah. and they get they coughed up a four run lead and then lose. I again. understand that. I understand that, but they're not ready yet. Uh, that's fine. That's fine. But understand this: they have never been ready. We have seen this bullpen year in and year out look good in the first half of the season and then die out in the second half. And if you're going to start the season looking like this, it's only going to worry you moving on to the all-star break when you're going to be looking at the trade deadline and what is this team, what is this bullpen going into the second half of the season when you need this bullpen to shine. First of all, they're only seven games into the season. So That's fine. Really That's fine. It is alarming when you see, what, three games letting letting these teams in their own division that are not even anywhere close to as good as they are offensively and defensively come back and actually almost win the game or win the game. Well, you can't put it all in the bullpen either because that game Alonzo made it ever. He made it throwing. Yeah, also, that's, that's fair. That, so, the, the one game was so, really bad with that, yeah. So you can't. So really you're gonna bet. Uh, let me ask you a question, Beef. You're gonna bet on this bullpen as the season progresses. This bullpen's gonna get better. Yeah, you have to see. What what, what what makes you think that with practically the same bullpen you had last year? Actually, probably worse because you lo- you lost Loop in free agency. They did lose Loop. Yeah, you're right, 100. percent But you you got to give them time, and you actually got to see where they're gonna go. Okay, so. So, so what happens? What happens? Let, let's just let's take a, let's take a guess here. Let's say the Atlanta Braves and, and Atlanta Braves haven't played well yet this season. It's early. Well, it's have. only it's yeah. it's only seven games into the season. They're going to get Acuna back. This lineup is going to get better. This lineup was one of the best infield power lineups in all of baseball last year. When they figure things out. If they're anywhere close to this Mets team, the Mets need to pull away like they did early last season when they were yeah. up. They had a seven-game lead in their division. If they don't well, do this early, the Braves are going to completely dominate this division. You cannot I, keep the Braves close, especially when they're that much better than your team. I still think the Braves are going to win a division. I don't think the Mets are going to win a division, but we'll see what happens. I mean, the Mets always play well in April. Everyone knows that. And then all of a sudden they play like crap right. in June. And then... And then they start playing a little bit better in August, and then by the time that happens, the season's over. Yeah, but you can't – again, you're not going into the season thinking that way. You added Max Scherzer. You gave him $43.5 million a year to expect that this team is going to be a playoff team. You gave Lindor $326 million. You gave Marte $160 million or $150 million. You gave Escobar a lot of money. You brought all these players. Now Pete Alonso is going to be asking for money at the end of the season, an extension from the Mets. They're, they're right now in, in, in a place where they have to start winning because if they don't, guess who's going to be opting out of his contract next year? Jacob DeGrom. And what are they going to do when he opts out of his contract? Now, this guy has only played 27 games, 27 starts in the last two seasons. He's one of the best pitchers in baseball when he's on the mound. What scares any Met fan is that this is going to be a significant injury. It's going to drag all the way out to June or July, and you're going to go into the second half of the season not knowing what Jacob DeGrom is when you expected this rotation to be the best rotation Mm -hmm. in baseball. I get it. I get it. I mean, you should be worried about the Quran because he hasn't pitched well at all. He hasn't even got a chance to pitch. It's There's just something wrong. It, There's something wrong with him. 
Well, there's something wrong with the Mets. <laughs> the Mets in their, uh, I guess you can Injury say. Injury management Physical issues. therapists over there. <laughs> Yet they switched trainers three times in the last six years, and it still hasn't solved anything. <laughs> I, 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 actually know I, one know. Of, I actually know one of the Mets physical therapists that work for the organization. And uh, I, actually, I, I actually train and I get my physical therapy at the same place where a lot of these uh, Mets oh, yeah. athletes go to get their physical therapy. So I, I, I always make jokes when I'm over there, and I'm like, uh, don't hurt me. Don't, <laughs> don't put me on the mm-hmm. shelf. Don't hurt my hip any more than what it is. You know, I, I just, can't... It, it just amazes me that they can't figure out what the hell is wrong with him. It doesn't make any sense to me. And they've had that trouble last year, too, because the, Jacob deGrom initially was the one who said, I don't want to pitch this game right before the All-Star game, and then the All-Star game itself. Then he was saying, all right, I'll be fine for the second half. It never ends up coming back, too. So is it him? Was it management? They never revealed anything like that. Could it be ownership? I, I, think, I, I think he injured himself pretty bad. I think he hurt his career. He was throwing the ball too hard. Yeah, he definitely was. It seemed like the 100-mile-an-hour fastball was a luxury that it seemed like, oh, this, he's throwing this now in spring training, something he's never done before, and then he started overusing it when he has so many other good pitches. Uh, throwing, 100 miles per hour, throwing 100 miles per hour is not good for any pitcher. No. And, and he, no. he throws that hard uh, really for the five or six innings that he's on the mound. So it is alarming when you're depending more on your fastball when you have other pitches. How many, how many times did we see him throw his changeup last year? Seriously, when not he was much, on the mound. Not, not much. He has one of the best changeups in all of baseball, and he barely throws it. Does that make sense no. to you? No, none. Not at all. But that's, that has something to do with managing. And, yes. yes, you have Buck Showalter there. Buck Showalter's getting old. Now, he has experience. Has Buck ever won a World Series? No. He's never won a World Series. So Met fans are sitting here today, and they're going to say, hey, you know what? We have one of, the best, uh, one of the best managers right now in baseball. Yes, statistics will show you, even though he's, a, he's barely a 500-win manager in baseball, that when Buck Showalter takes these younger lineups, these younger uh, rotations, and he takes over, he gets them to start playing for him. But guess what? As well as they start playing with him, uh, playing for him early as a manager, they die out and they don't start. They stop listening to him and they fall apart like three years, four years down the road. Just like Tom Thibodeau with the Knicks, he does. We've seen how many times we've seen Tom Thibodeau take over an organization, a team, the Timberwolves. They have one good season and then all of a sudden they fall apart. We've seen this mm-hmm. before. We've seen this, and it, this is not just this isn't just uh, you know one sport to the other. How about the Jets? Todd Bowles took over for Rex Ryan. It was ten and six with the Jets, a borderline playoff team, and then after that, Todd Bowles was horrible. Okay, so we've seen this. We've seen this before with New York managers and coaches. So it's nothing new to me. If you're a New York fan, I, I would not expect Buck Showalter to be there more than three or four years because of his age. And we've seen year in and year out what he has done with the Baltimore Orioles, with the Texas Rangers, with the Arizona Diamondbacks. We've seen this before. And the Yankees. He was there, what, 89 to 93, right? It was, no, I'm sorry, 89, 89 to 94, yeah. 94, 95. And then he lost his job to Joe Torrey. And then what happens the year the year after he leaves the team? 
They win the World Series. And four titles in five years. Uh, before we go mm-hmm. to break, uh, Carl S. says, remember when Billy Wagner consistently hit 100 miles an hour year in and year out? There's a difference with a closer and a starter, though, Carl. Uh, you're, well, you're only pitching the one inning. You could go harder with those 100-plus fastballs. Well, and also, the best didn't have Diaz to begin with either. He was he was hurt, and uh, he just came back now. So We'll see. Beef, thank you for but, calling. I buddy. mean, you got it, man. I'll see you guys later. The Beef. Uh... Wow. I, I mean, it's crazy. We, we went from uh, Shea Otani and Vladimir Guerrero and, and back and forth banter with uh, Jeff from Tampa. Now the beef calls up and he talks about the Mets, which it's interesting. The Mets are a very interesting organization because you just don't know what this team is going to fully do as the season progressively moves forward. I, I, I don't know what this bullpen is going to be and how this bullpen is going to hold up, especially what we've seen so far early this season. So I know it's seven games, six games into the season. It's not a lot, but it, it's starting to be alarming, and it has been alarming year in and year out with this bullpen. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we'll be talking to former NFL safety and founder of Sneakerhead University, Antoine Harris, here on the Sports Loudmouths. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the Sports Loudmouths. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, we are the Sports Loudmouths. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co host, Speedy. PD. Remember, you can call us. Speedy, what is the number? 631-672-3108. As you know, you can go to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Download our app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Now, we haven't heard from this guy in two years. He was supposed to send us a catalog of sneakers, and he still hasn't. But we have him on now for the first time. Video expertise. We are now talking to former NFL safety founder of Sneakerhead University, Antoine Harris. What's going on, Mr. Harris? How you guys doing? First of all, I'd like to apologize. Uh, <laughs> Just kidding. Blame it, blame it on my head, not my heart. <laughs> I definitely I meant to do that. Uh, I still I have way more inventory now, so it may have uh, done a, It might have been a good thing because now I have, you have more to choose from. Well, you know something? We really appreciate you even joining us with your uh, busy schedule. As as you saw Eric Coleman yesterday at MSG, uh, you know, uh, flexing and, and doing the things that he <laughs> always does. But uh, how are you doing? How is your company doing right now since the last time we talked? Uh, I'm, I'm doing okay. You know, uh, life has, has been moving along. You know, I'm, I'm full-time dad, and, and uh, that's that's been really good for me. Uh, unfortunately, uh, I lost my mom since the last time I talked to you guys. So sorry was, to hear so that. Sorry for uh, loss, man. Uh, I appreciate it. And, and my aunt, her sister, uh, which has been kind of tough. But, you know, other than that, you know, I've been blessed to have everybody healthy, everybody safe. My dad's uh, doing well and uh, the sneakers are still coming <laughs> in and out. Well, that's always good. You're making money, and that's the most most important thing when you got to support a family now. So there you go. For sure. As, For every, sure. as For everybody sure. knows, we are talking to former NFL safety and founder of Sneakerhead University, Antoine Harris. Now, let's get down to football, my friend. Okay. I I am looking at this Rams team. Uh, they're getting better and better this offseason. They win the Super Bowl last year. They lose Von Miller to $120 million, overpaid by Buffalo. Makes no sense. I know he's hey, a great player. Yeah, don't, don't judge the player getting his money. 
But yeah, that, okay, there you go. Yeah, as long but, as you said that. Yes, but Bobby Wagner signs with them for $50 million. He's one of the best linebackers still in all of the NFL. Allen Robertson goes over there, takes, a, I think, a lesser contract to go over there and try to win a Super Bowl. And now we're hearing the Honey Bachelor, okay, is heading <laughs> over there as well. Uh, he is batching his way over there to L.A. Uh, what are your thoughts to this Rams team going into next season? Uh, they're trying to come back. Uh, they're trying to do it again. And why wouldn't they? You know, losing a guy uh, like Von Miller, it, it, it's, it's a tough loss for them. But at the same time, when you pick up somebody like Bobby Wagner, that's another uh, good defensive guy that comes in. He's a leader. He knows how to win. He's won before. Um, I think I think they're trying to compete again. They're trying to go back to back. I, that's It's tough. But, you know, they're trying to run it back again. And I'm not mad at it. I respect it. And I respect Von Miller for going out and getting his money because, you know, I'm always an advocate of guys getting their money while they can, uh, you know, before some bad injury happens because it's not about uh, if you're going to get hurt. It's more so when you're going to get hurt. So I'm, I'm all for Von getting his money. Yeah, you got you. Uh, the last time we had you on the show, Antoine, you and Errol were bantering about that when it came to Jamal Adams. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that money. was right at the time when those Get rumors were swirling. So, yeah. Yeah, my question is from a team perspective, have you ever seen anything like that extreme difference the way the Rams have been doing? Trading away all those draft picks. You saw Les Snead at the parade having the shirt that says uh, asterisk with a F bomb than picks. I, well, you, are, is this going to hey. become a new trend or is it just an LA thing? <laughs> You know, the funny thing is uh, Les Snead was in the front office when I was in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And so I, I kind of understand his mentality and I know what he's trying to do. And he knows how to go out and get guys who know how to play football. And it's not all about the big draft picks and like, you know, uh, we're trying to get the guys who are most hyped up because that's really what draft picks are about. It's about the hype. You know, you really haven't proven anything until you've gone out there and played some games. And so Les, Les, Les knows what he's doing. So I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't doubt anything that he's he's chosen to do. And I'm, I'm excited to see how they turn out this year because they had a good team last year. They kind of came out there and went showed out under the lights, you know, and that's what L.A. is about. Antoine, you look at Derek Carr. We a lot of people thought that he wasn't uh, going to be paid as a number one quarterback, as an elite quarterback in this league. Uh, then yesterday we hear uh, a rumor that he is going to get an extension worth about $120 million, most of it guaranteed money. Uh, has Las Vegas fi- finally figured out that they have a franchise quarterback now that they landed Devontae Adams, his best friend, and now what we've seen all around over the last two years at him at the, the quarterback helm? At the quarterback position, it's really tough. It's really tough, especially nowadays. It's not like, you know – uh, back when I played or before I played, really, where you have quarterbacks who come in and they're with the franchise for the long haul. Nowadays, it's a, it's about what have you done for me lately. But, you know, I think he put up good enough numbers to deserve a contract like that. Guys are getting paid right now. And so he's he's going to have to continue to show and prove year after year after year. I don't know about him staying there for the long haul because, you know, that Vegas, Vegas is, is about what's hot. And so if they can get something more hot at a certain time, then I don't see them. I don't see why they wouldn't. You know, nowadays, $100 million isn't what it used to be. Mm-hmm. So speaking of quarterbacks, uh, one that you played with as a young player just got traded as well. And Matt Ryan, he got traded to the Colts mm-hmm. this offseason, ending an era in Atlanta. So you got to know him a little bit as a, when he was a young player. So what is yeah. your best memory of Matt Ryan as a teammate? Uh, first, I'd like to say 
I, I, I kind of I shed a tear or two when uh, Matt left Atlanta because he was one of the last ones that was around for when I played. And so I feel like it, it literally is the end of an era right now. Um, man, Matt, Matt has always been a stand-up guy. I mean, even years after I stopped playing, I would go to Falcons games. I would get invited to uh, events and whatnot, and I would end up, you know, somewhere on the sideline, and he would, you know, connect eyes with me and just be like, Antoine, what's up? And he's so genuine, and uh, he's, he's such a good guy. And you want to see Matt do well. It was tough seeing him struggle in Atlanta for a few years, but uh, it was good when he got to the Super Bowl no matter how bad that kind of turned out. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, Matt, man, you know, I think one of my funniest memories was in practice when uh, I would play scout team from time to time. And, you know, I kind of had an idea of what they were running in practice. And I, there would be times where I could be a bit of a uh, a pest. And since I would know the route, I would try to go, you know, run and pick it <laughs> off. And Matt would get a little pissed at me from time to time. But, uh you know, he understood what I was trying to do, and it made him work. And you know, when he when he went out there and did well in the game, I felt like it was because of me. <laughs> <laughs> we are talking to former NFL safety and founder of Sneakerhead University, Antoine Harris. Antoine, the safety position has really uh, grown. Uh, we we we've seen when you were playing with some of the great safeties of your era, and now the safeties now: Derwin James, Jamal Adams, uh, obviously the Honey Bachelor. All, all the different safeties that we've seen, the dominance of this position, and has become a very important position. And now these guys are asking for big money. What are your thoughts to the transition of the DB position from the cornerback position as the elite part of the, the secondary defense to really now the safety? Uh, well, you you know how where I stand as far as guys going out there and getting their money. But as far as the position alone, I mean, I think before it was more so about guys being able to hit and disrupt and do things like that. And now – these guys are smart. I mean, you have you have safeties that can legit sometimes go out there and play corner. You don't have to have so many DBs on the roster because you have safeties now that can come down and cover. And when you got guys like Derwin James and those big huge safeties like that, I mean, they're they're they can play anywhere on the field. You know, they can they can send them off the edge, they can send them back to the middle of the field, they can put them down in a box. And when you see those big presences out there, it, it kind of as an offensive guy it makes you think about what you really want to do because these guys are so long, tall, fast. Uh, it's, it's pretty incredible to watch them play now. So one of our fans actually has a very good question. Uh, Carl okay. asks, uh, I have a former student who, went, who declared but might go undrafted, has a lot mm-hmm. of talent but undersized. What, you, mm-hmm. went to, you went undrafted and still made it. What advice would you give to, to, for a player that won't get drafted this year? Um. Honestly, I, I can be as real as possible is the more you can do, the more you can do, the better and be very coachable. Don't go into a situation feeling entitled. Don't go into a situation feeling like uh, I should be playing a certain position. I honestly came into the league as an athlete. I didn't start playing uh, DB until my junior year in high or college until, uh, when Bobby Petrino came to Louisville. And that made me realize that you know, I can't just be stuck on offense. If defense comes up and I want to play and I want to be, you know, make an impact on the field, I have to be uh, flexible. And and as an undrafted guy, special teams. 
special teams, <laughs> special teams. If you're not a first-round draft pick, you better get your butt on punt cover, punt return, kickoff cover, kickoff return, get on every single special team you can, and work as hard as you can in practice because you're not going to have very many opportunities. Or you may get in a situation where you have so many opportunities you'll be overly tired. But special teams, coach, make him your best friend. Go as hard as you can because you never know what play will be your last. Antoine, when you look at the quarterback position, Tom Brady retires, he comes back. Aaron Rodgers, he was the best quarterback throughout the league last year. And and really, because of the snow and everybody throwing him under the bus, he loses an important game where everybody thought the Green Bay Packers were the favorites to win the Super Bowl. Are mm-hmm. you surprised now when you look at the young quarterbacks in this league, the Joe Burrows of the world, the uh, Herberts of the world, uh, do you see that the new transition of quarterbacks are, are really taking over from what we've seen in the past? Yeah. A hundred percent. And it's not just a quarterback position. You have to think you have, you have kids that are five and six years old training right now. Like there's kids that are, they don't have school tomorrow here in Florida. There's going to be kids outside that are training on being a, a quarterback that are going out there doing footwork to be a receiver, doing footwork to be a DB at five, six years old. So I think that nowadays there's, there's, pretty much nothing off limits because these guys are getting bigger, faster, smarter. They're understanding the game more, you know, with uh, film study and with social media, you can go on social media, follow a hashtag and figure out what cover two is. You can figure out where to throw it, where your open spots are, where it's not, you know, and, and it's just, there's so much more access. So I'm not surprised by these guys like Joe Burrow, the poise he had in college. It didn't surprise me at all. How well he played in the NFL. Are you surprised that Tom Brady came back? No, I, I'm surprised that he actually declared that he would retire when he did. I'm surprised because Tom Brady's a competitor. You know, what's he going to compete in after he leaves this game at, at this level? You know, he'll have other investments and things like that he works on. But where's he going to get this competitive? Like, where is he going to get this fire from? Where? And so for him to make that decision so early, I kind of knew he was coming back. I'm not surprised at all. So we were talking about trying to make a name for yourself as a undrafted player, late round picks. Something that's mm-hmm. helped out recently with that is other football leagues coming in. We saw we see the USFL now starting the XFL and we've mm-hmm. uh, other leagues that have been the last three years. So what are your thoughts mm-hmm. on that kind of thing coming into fruition and trying to grow the game? Uh, honestly, I, I think it's a good thing. I think it gives guys a chance to play. And again, back to social media, I think it gives guys a chance to get exposure because, you know, nowadays, if you make some kind of highlight, whether it's the smallest league or the biggest league, you'll be like on one of those highlight reels on uh, social media, on like the Explorer page or whatever. And next thing you know, you got 200,000 views. And now you're like a not a household name, but you're you're trending. And that's kind of what it's about nowadays. So, um, Yeah. We are talking to former NFL safety and founder of Sneakerhead University, Antoine Harris. So let's talk about your sneakers. We'll go back to your okay. sneakers. What okay. what sneaker right now that you have that you're selling that really stands out from all the rest? Huh. Usually the ones that uh, probably stand out the most. I probably won't sell. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta keep it for yourself. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I'm 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 kind of selfish in that aspect. Actually, the, the sneakers I have behind me are all just ones that I wear. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of my most prized sneakers, uh, it's the 
1985 Jordan One mm. that I that I acquired some years ago, and I just held on to it, and it just, uh, you know, I don't know exactly what happened to kind of tip this, other than when Michael Jordan had that that uh, the Last Dance documentary, yep. those Jordan One One prices skyrocketed, and I, I'm fortunate enough to have three different pair, and the, the prices are crazy on them. And the funny thing is I wear them mm. and most people probably wouldn't wear them, but I mean, that sneakers are made to be worn. Oh, absolutely. They'll also be collectors. Yeah. I'm a collector but, uh, too, by the way. Oh yeah. Yes. A collector, huh? I am a sneaker okay. collector too. So. And he's given six like pairs that. to me since the last time you were on the show. Yes. <laughs> oh yeah. Yes. He, he has no room in his closet left, so he's giving some of them to me. <laughs> Listen, I understand. These are out here. You don't even want to see my clothes. It's, it's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. I'm in trouble daily for my wife. Uh oh. Well, you. I had to get a. I had to get a storage unit. Well, hold on one second. So your wife is allowed to collect shoes and high heels and boots, and she probably has a whole closet full of them. But because she you has ha- a whole closet full of sneakers, I I, I believe it. I, yeah. I believe it. Yeah. And I bet you you paid yeah. for all of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 But, but yeah, she's she's happy wife, happy life. No, I I understand. I understand. I'm, I'm not married. I have a girlfriend, right. but I'm not married. Okay. But uh, well, she's you're okay for now. Yeah, I am okay for now because uh, <laughs> I if you I I'm sure you have a lot of sneakers. I can see it right behind you, and you have a whole you know room full of them. I have a closet yeah. full of them. Uh, I you can't even walk in the closet. I'm a clothes a clothes collector uh, mm-hmm. belt collector hat collector i mean i need oh, a match yeah? oh absolutely i need a you matching a t-shirt man. guy oh absolutely man absolutely okay i have uh i have to put you in contact with my guy uh, that i grew up with he actually does all the t-shirts for uh, it's always sunny in philadelphia and oh, stuff absolutely. like that yeah so i put you in contact with him he's got a nice uh, vintage collection and yeah it, that'd be pretty cool well, we might have to uh, bring you out here to show off mm-hmm. some of your sneaker collection. I, I think that would be great. I think the fans would like For to sure. meet you out here. Uh, we have a lot of big football fans out here, here in Long Island, and, and they have all these different events over here at the malls, uh, especially in the summertime. They have – what do they – they call that they have like these different places, the like, sneaker sneaker conventions. And yeah, stuff conventions, like that. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also at the Nassau Coliseum, they have the uh, sneaker conventions. So I should I should find out when that next convention is, and we'll have you out here. I, I think it's awesome. And, and honestly, man, uh, we've interviewed so many ex NFL players, and and w- the last time we had you on, you were so funny, and uh, <laughs> your your passion for sneakers and your passion for the game of football is just it's it's really awesome and and i had a conversation with eric eric and me are always in contact and i said we talked to your buddy antoine uh antoine harris and he's like he's like did he tell you any of those crazy stories and i said uh <laughs> he told us one or two but he didn't really sneak he's like he's like there's a lot of sto- there's a lot of stories that he hasn't told that we will not tell Anybody exactly. About. The Brett Grimes exactly. one was still my favorite. <laughs> you know, oh yes, yes, uh, that was a great one. Yeah. So I, yeah, I just there's, want... there's plenty more. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. And he's doing great over here. He does a betting show on MSG. It's it's fantastic what he's doing. He's really growing as an analyst, and uh, he deserves all the accolades because he's worked really, really hard uh, as an ex NFL player. Now as a radio slash uh, broadcaster slash TV yeah. TV presentator. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the guy's awesome. Yeah, he really he's, is. He's a good dude, man. He he always worked his butt off in football. And um, honestly, when he came to Atlanta, I learned a lot from him. And I knew how to be a pro, but I kind of came in 
at the time where there were a lot of uh, older guys that were so much pro that they didn't really care that much. Mm-hmm. Like they cared about football, but they were in like a routine and it was like, you know, we're just going to work every day. Right. EC came in and he, he was a football player. Like he came in, he wanted to study. He wanted to know, you know, what the other teams were doing. He wanted to coach all the younger guys up where a lot of times you get older guys come in and they don't really want to help out the young guys. EC was a true leader on the field and he's a leader off the field too. He's a really good dude. Well, we got speedy. I was going to say, uh, I was going to say the the 2009 slash 2008 Falcons have pretty been well represented between you. We had uh, we had Von Hutchins as well, who was part of those teams. Oh and, yeah, and Eric Coleman. Yeah, yeah, have been pretty well represented. Good. Oh yeah, for sure. Good dudes. Both of those guys are good dudes. Really good dudes. Well, we really appreciate you joining us, and uh, I want a, definitely a list of sneakers that you're selling <laughs> because I might be interested. I'm not going to tell me your size again. I wear 11s. So, oh yeah, you're my size. Yeah, That's right. man. Come oh on, yeah, man. you're good to go. You know, that makes it easy. You got any of these back here? There you I go, man. You. Sharing is caring, bud. I mean, I've got Sharing some. Sharing is caring. <laughs> You've got a whole tall stack of it. It's like it's like the uh, seat in the Big Lebowski with all those bowling shoes in his dream. <laughs> right. right. I can bowl Lebowski. too. I can bowl too. Okay. <laughs> nice. I can't bowl. I, I'm the worst no, no. bowler you'll ever see. And and it's funny. I that. It, I'm terrible. Let me tell you something. I'm a good athlete, but for bowling, for some reason, even if I put the bumpers out, I'm terrible. Uh, the uh, the last time, I'll tell you a funny story. The last time I was at a bowling alley, okay, I was I, I was on a date, okay, and this was years and years ago. I think it was with Brittany, and I was bowling, and you I hope it was. Uh, <laughs> it was embarrassing, <laughs> and this kid, this kid looked like she was seven or eight years old. She was bowling strikes, so I wanted to show off. So I thought throwing the ball, following the lines, and throwing the ball down the line as hard as I can, uh, I'd be able to knock all the pins down. Well, I tried to do that, and I lost control of the ball. I, I took a smaller ball, and it, my pinky got caught into the ball, oh. and oh. it bounced on two different lanes. It was the most oh, embarrassing. <laughs> it was one of the most embarrassing things I've ever done. And, and as as a non-bowler, that's why I don't go to bowling alleys anymore. It's embarrassing. <laughs> we I can as... work on that, though. We can, we can we? get that together. Can we? I, yeah, I don't we know. Can, we can get that together. Well, I'm sure you have backspin or whatever the hell they call it. Oh yeah, stuff. but my I brother could do that too. Ball. Yeah, I just use these two. <laughs> yeah, my brother does that too. He like he twists it like this and just yeah. rotates it, oh, yeah. and it go, it curves like it's like a slurve on on baseball. Exactly. Mm. So you know it. You just got to do it. I can't do it either. My my brother does it well. Then my tell other you. younger brother is trying to learn it now. I'll tell you what, I won't use a ball. I'll throw Speedy down the lane. I would, I'd probably be better off. <laughs> At least I'd probably get closer to the pins. <laughs> bumpers or no bumpers. <laughs> If you know this, Antoine, what is your what is your high score? You, you know that off the top oh, of your head. Oh, uh, the high score. I don't remember. I don't remember what my high is. But we, I'll tell you like this: we play nine or better. Mm. Nine or better. You have to knock nine or pin nine or better pins down, or you have You're to good. pay twenty dollars. You're good. That just tells yeah. you he's really good. Okay. So. This is me, Roddy White, Michael Jenkins. Oh, those, those, Harry Douglas. Oh, we got good stories about those games. Oh, I'm sure. That's, my, that's like a whole nother interview right there. <laughs> we, got good stories. we got good stories about that. I heard Harry Douglas is, is a character. That's what I've heard. Oh, uh, he, he is one in a million. Mm, I'm that's sure I'm he saying. is. I've heard that Eric was telling me he's one of the craziest 
uh, funniest people he's ever met. So, and uh, we went to college together, so I know him before <laughs> he was like out here, and then he's still the same. That's uh, why I love him. I'm sure he's still per- the same. His team path was the reverse. He started with the Falcons, then went to the Titans, and then he went the other way yeah, around. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And we went to college together, so mm-hmm. like we just been around each other all our lives. Well, Antoine, why don't you tell the fans how they can search you, how they can find your sneaker collection, Sneakerhead University. Uh, okay, right now I've shut my website down because I've actually done more on Instagram. So you can find me at Sneakerhead University. Uh, it's really the Shoe University, T-H-E-S-H-U-N-I-V-E-R-S-I-T-Y, the Shoe University. Um, you can find me there on Twitter. You can find me there on Instagram. And yeah, just send me a DM. If you watch this, send me a DM. I'll give you $40 off any shoe that you decide to get. Look at him. He's actually he's... $41. I'm sorry. $41. <laughs> that's my number. Errol's closet might off. expand into this room at this rate. You're damn right. You better, you better have a nice catalog because I might be, <laughs> I might be shopping yeah, tomorrow. I got you. 40, $41 off. Y'all get half off. Y'all get half well, off. Well, that, that's, that, well, now you're really going to make me spend money, aren't you? Yeah, for sure. For sure. That's about to you start on. the hats, too. You're damn right. Oh, yeah. You, I've got some hats. I'm okay. a hat collector. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk. Absolutely. We'll talk. Absolutely, man. Uh, we really appreciate you joining us again, my friend. And we'll be in no touch. Doubt. Thank you for having me. And we'd love to get you on again. For sure. All right. We'll be in contact for absolutely. sure about those shoes absolutely. and shirts. And those shirts. Absolutely. Thank you, Antoine. No problem. Thank you, guys. Have a good one, man. Antoine Harris, uh, former NFL safety, founder of Sneakerhead University. Awesome guy. Special. Oh, yeah. uh, f- funny as hell. And, and by the way, Eric Coleman tells me a lot of funny stories about the, those Atlanta Falcon teams. Oh, and yeah. and Har- Harry Douglas, uh, Antoine Harris, uh, Hutchinson. He says those guys are characters. But he's a character, too. I mean, him and his flexing. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> he's always flexing. I always tell him, I'm like, every picture, man, do you not have to show your buffy muscles? I mean, seriously. He can't help it. No, he can't. He can't help it. Well, he'll tell you that he's not, he doesn't mean to do it. But that's a lie. I mean, seriously. Every time he's always he's, looking, looking always, for something. Always looking for something over there, over Hulk there. Hulk Hogan over there. That's what, <laughs> <laughs> the immortal Eric Colvin. <laughs> <Right. laughs> Antoine Harris, ladies and right, gentlemen. Guys. Have a good one. You too, my one. friend. Uh, when we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we will get into some football conversation. As we said, uh, the honey bachelor is uh, going to L.A. It looks like he's heading on his way. But what are the Jets going to do moving forward in the draft? Uh, Debo Samuels uh, has come out and said that he wants to make 25 a year. Uh, is the San Francisco 49ers going to pay him? I'm going to tell you why they're not, and I expect Baker Mayfield and Debo Samuels to be traded in the next two weeks, wherever they're going. When we come back, we'll get into that here on the Sports Lab Mounts. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the Sports Loud Mounts. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Sports Loud Mounts. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy P. 
PD. Remember, you can call us at 631-672-3108. Remember, you can go to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Download our app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And I, I just want to apologize to all the fans. Speedy is posting up the phone number. So if you if you don't know the number to call, it will be up on the feed because uh, I don't even know the number. And it's still not sitting up on the, uh, the feed. So he will post it up if you want to call the show. As you heard the beef and Jeff calling the show. I, I want to get into this uh, situation. We were talking to Antoine Harris with uh, the L.A. Rams and what the L.A. Rams have done so far this offseason. And I, I think they've really built this team to a championship competitive team again this offseason. Adding Bobby Wagner, adding, obviously, Allen Robinson. And now, if, if this is true, it seems like it's going to happen. The Honey Badger is actually going to take less money to go and play over there with the L.A. Rams. Uh, obviously, uh, you, you look at the Badger and, and what he's all about. He, he's all about winning championships. He won one championship with Kansas City. Uh, he... Uh, last year, had a chance uh, to win a championship uh, with uh, with that Kansas City Chiefs team, fell short, and and he wanted to go back to Kansas City. He really did. And if you heard what he said uh, after they decided to part ways with him because they, they added Reed in the offseason, they gave him, I think, $45, 50000000 million. He said that he would have taken – the Honey Badger said he, was go- he could have taken – Less money or the same amount of money as Reed, and he would have came back to the uh, Kansas City Chiefs. It's so interesting when you look at these players, and and I don't think he's at the tail end of his career, but he's he's been fighting injury year in and year out. Last year he was fighting injuries, even going into the playoffs. I, the question is, when you look at these players, Speedy, and you look at the talent that they are and still at the top of their, their, their football game and, and their talent, do you think – when you look at more money or you look at championships, uh, which one is more value to those players? I'm surprised that it was that for the way Honey Badger is going with it because he won a championship already. I th- I'm surprised he wasn't going for the one more big contract because the two teams that seemed like they were rumored for that were the Eagles and the Saints, and they have a lot more salary cap space than the Rams do right now. So it's definitely surprising considering Honey Badger is still a top safety in football that he wouldn't try to push it, even if it's a shorter deal, even if it's a three-year deal, that he wouldn't, he wouldn't push for that. So it's, it's going to be different with every player. It just, it's just surprising for a guy that has been a top, steadily top safety, versatile guy, could be a slot corner, could be an outside corner, we've seen him all over the place, that he wouldn't try to go for one more of those big contracts, but again, maybe there's a connection with some of those players, we, we talk about it all the time with the NBA, you never know what kind of the relationships that these players have in the, in the NFL, and just athlete to athlete, where he, maybe he wants to go play with a certain guy. Maybe he's like, oh, I want to go play, play with Jalen Ramsey. I've never played with a corner that shut down, even though he played with Patrick Peterson or something like that. Aaron Donald, like maybe he didn't want to play with a player like that. Or even Bobby Wagner. Maybe there was some kind of negotiation with that kind no, of thing, too. I heard it was Jalen. It's Jaylen- not tampering, obviously, but. I heard it was Jalen Ramsey okay. and Aaron Donald. They're the ones that are reaching out to friends of friends. And, and, and the Honey Badger was obviously being recruited by those particular players. Now, obviously Jalen Ramsey and uh, Aaron Donald, they want to win another championship. They want to win back-to-back. The last time the t- a team did that was the New England Patriots. Right. So uh, there hasn't been a back-to-back winner in a very long time. So I think Aaron Donald saying what he said, he believes that they're even more hungrier than they were this year on winning another championship. Now the question is, 
adding these defensive players, adding the players that they've had, are they much better? Are no adding this kind of talent? We've seen this. Uh, look at what uh, over the last couple of years, Cleveland. Cleveland has had some of the best players, the best teams when it comes to talent is concerned, and they never win. They never get over the hump. The closest to, the closest they had to winning was two years ago when Kansas City had that trick play, which sent the Kansas City Chiefs to the uh, AFC title game. And uh, obviously Baker Mayfield and the Browns falling short. And then last year, Baker wasn't 100% healthy, but they still had the most talented team on paper. You had them going to the playoffs, I think. I had them in the Super Bowl. Yeah. I had the, They were my AFC pick against the Rams. I, I mean, and now you have Deshaun Watson there, and Baker Mayfield's on his way out. The fans hate him. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. But uh, when you look at these players, you would think that money should come first instead of championships. And it's not like the Honey Badger hasn't won a championship. He won one already with Kansas City. So I was very, I'm very surprised and, and was very surprised to hear that there's a very good chance the Rams are going to land the Honey Badger. So mm-hmm. uh, very interesting. I'm not surprised Bobby Wagner went to the L.A. Rams. I mean, he right. doesn't want a title. I'm thinking that's also more well, sticking to the one Seahawks. Title. He did win one, but I also think he wanted to go to stick to the Seahawks because look at the Seahawks, all the players that have left there. They've been – it's kind of sour the way they've gone out. Even look at Richard Sermon. He went to the 49ers who were even tighter rivals with the Seahawks than the Rams were at that time. The Rams sometimes were like an average team that – flukily beat the Seahawks on occasion. But the 49ers, that was their stingy rivals at that time when Kaepernick was there at Harbaugh. And they, they were had a lot of direct competition. And Richard Sherman, first time he gets a free agent opportunity, goes right there. It's and and then you look at some of the players like we can we can look at the Jets and and obviously the Jets didn't get the players that they wanted. The Jet fans didn't get the players that they wanted on, on that list of free agents. But the Jets landed some good options and and Tomlinson and 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 two of the best tight ends that were available in Conklin and Osama. So it's not like they didn't get good talent. But we're going into the tra- obviously the draft, which is two two and a half weeks away. And, and we're looking, if you're a Jet fan, the Jets are looking at where are they going at that wide receiving position? That's the question. You, you talk about, obviously, the, the, all these different wide receivers that have been traded so far, Tyree Kill, uh, uh, Adams going, uh, go, going uh, to the Las Vegas, uh, Las Vegas Raiders. And now you're talking about Debo Samuels, who already has come out and said that he wants to make the most money out of any wide receivers in NFL history. He wants to get paid between 25 and $30 million. Now the question is, is there a team out there besides the Jets that will offer him that $25, $30 million contract? There's only one that really stands out besides the Jets, and that's the Colts. Hmm. And are the Colts going to obviously sign a big-name wide receiver? They never overpay wide receivers. Nope. We've never seen them do that. And they've never overpaid free agents over the years right. either. With all the money they have, they should at least try to make one big push for that. We, we saw them do it with a quarterback now, but still, it's a veteran quarterback, and that's really all we're looking at. $21.7 million they currently have. Um, they currently have in cap space and – where is that big push going to come? Now, we've seen them trade with the 49ers already for DeForest Buckner. So maybe they have a working relationship over there. That could be a possibility. And to go along with Michael Pittman, that'd be quite an offense if they could do that. Obviously, Jonathan Taylor. Yeah, and I, I think when you look at what is, is going to happen moving forward, going, going into the draft, you're going to look at teams on who, who and where they want to trade. And 
Uh, Baker Mayfield's going to be available to trade uh, during during the draft. Uh, we've we've talked about Carolina looking for a quarterback. We've talked about other teams looking for a starting quarterback. And this is not the quarterback class where you're going to go out and, and find a franchise quarterback. So Baker Mayfield could be dangling around. Mm-hmm. And, and and obviously Carolina don't have a second or a first, fourth round draft pick because they traded for Sam Darnold last year. But they still have a first round pick. And they're they're sitting at six. Uh, if Baker, if they want a quarterback to challenge Sam Darnold. Uh, going into the next season, Baker Mayfield's the best fit. I really do believe he's the best fit. So are they willing to trade that six pick to get a Baker Mayfield? Yeah, I don't know. That would be a lucky one for the Browns if they could pull that off because they're probably going to be the only team that would offer a first-round pick at the current state that Baker Mayfield is in right now because, again, once the offseason goes along, the trade value will diminish to an extent. So... The other teams that have been interested in him have only been offered second-round picks. The Seahawks have obviously been the lead so far. I know you've mentioned the Steelers, too. And another one got into the running, too, in the Atlanta Falcons that are now interested in Baker Mayfield. They just signed Marcus Mariota, but why not have uh, another guy who good uh, Baker will start probably over Mariota, too. But even so, even though an insurance policy, both those guys are injury-prone, too. So... The, even them, I don't think they would offer the eighth overall pick either. So the Panthers would be the last chance left if Cleveland wants to push for that. And also, uh, Baker Mayfield is a personality. He will sell jerseys. We, I think he was in the top ten with jersey sales last year, which is surprising why the Browns wanted to run him out over there and the fans wanted to run him away, uh, run him out of uh, uh, Cleveland. So it, it, the question is, going into the draft – where is Baker Mayfield going to go? Where is Debo Samuel going to go? Uh, I do believe both players are going to be traded because I can't see San Francisco giving him uh, Debo Samuel so $25 million contract because if they do that, they're going to have to trade away pieces and or they're going to have to drop pieces to that roster, which right now they're, they're a Super Bowl contender. Now, are they a Super Bowl contender without Debo Samuels? I don't know. I, I, I don't know. But there are wide receivers in this year's draft. They don't have a first-round draft pick, but they do have a second-round draft pick. Maybe uh, they draft uh, you know, guys like uh, – P- who's the kid from the Georgia that everybody likes? Pickens. Pickens, who everybody believes is going to fall into the second round. Maybe Pickens is sitting there uh, for San Francisco, and then they trade Debo Samuels. Or maybe they trade Debo Samuels, and they get a first round and a second round, and they solidify their draft stock – this year after losing that, uh, trading away for their future quarterback in Trey Lance. Yeah, it also might be a case where they might be looking for somebody that's not going to be as productive as Debo Samuel, but maybe for the production they could get at least to replace as a versatile player, too. We've seen that with Traylon Burks. We've seen that with uh, Jamison Williams, the way that Alabama used him. He could be a slot guy outside. I don't know if he lined up as a running back as much because Alabama had all that running back talent, but with his speed, I'm sure he could. So they might be looking for a player like that, and maybe they'll trade for another one to serve, I guess, the combined production because Debo Samuel, for his all-around skill set, is going to be very difficult to replace with just one player. It's going to be hard to find anybody that's either on the trade market or this draft to be able to do that kind of thing. The closest one is probably Jamison Williams if they do get him, but he's not the big body guy that Debo is either. Debo's a big guy, too, and can run very well. Absolutely. And, and that, like I said, when you look at some of these players that are going to become available as the the draft is going to come along closer and closer, uh, there's a lot of teams and a lot of questions that these teams are going to have to make uh, going into that draft. I, I, I do think there's a lot of depth in this year's draft. Teams like the Jets, if they're looking for a wide receiver, maybe they don't draft a wide receiver in the first round. Now, there, right. is, there is some conversations throughout the organization that they're interested in Garrett Wilson. Now, are they willing to draft Garrett Wilson at number 10? Maybe the Jets trade down with uh, the Bengals. 
The Bengals are looking for another offensive lineman. Maybe they train with the Bengals at number 10, get their 31st pick, get their second and their third this year uh, to do something like that or something like that. The Jets might be willing to do that. So uh, there's a lot of things that a lot of these teams could do. How many teams right now have two multiple picks in the first round? I think it's like six. It's the Texans. How many times have we seen that? Yeah, the Texans, the Saints, the Lions. The Jets, the, the Giants. The Jets and the Giants. Yeah, five teams. It, it's crazy. It really is. So I, I expect a lot of trades in the first round. I expect if, if a team needs a quarterback or a wide receiver. Listen, I, the Lions right now, they could use a wide receiver. Absolutely could use a wide receiver. Why wouldn't they make a move for Debo Samuels? They, they, San Francisco sends Debo Samuels to the Lions. How many times are they going to play the Lions? Really? Yeah, it would be only once every three years or if they finish at the same time. So, right so they'll never have to see Debo Samuels. They're not going to have to see it next year because the Lions are last place schedule. The 49ers are a second place schedule. So, yeah, you don't have to see that. And, yeah, if you trade him somewhere like that, yeah, you might not have to worry about it. It's just a matter of getting that combined production, whether it's with receivers or another position. Uh, Jeff says Wandale is built like Debo. Okay, I didn't know he was eligible this year. I thought I thought he was coming out next year. I thought he said he was returning to school. Yeah, Wandale Robinson is a definitely an interesting one like that, too. Maybe that would be the closest thing in terms of that pure, I guess, hybrid prototype type player. But still, even those types of players so far haven't put up seasons like we saw Debo Samuel do so far. So it's definitely a, uh, still a risk to try to figure out how to get the combined production. It's definitely a risk, but for... For $25, $30 million, I'm not overpaying Debo Samuels and affecting my cap going into next season where you're going to – you have a better opportunity to maybe make moves for a wide receiver. And and they don't have a first-round draft pick next year either. So they have to decide where this team is. They're expected to be a Super Bowl contender this year. And and usually when you're a Super Bowl contender, you don't trade away a piece like Debo Samuels. But again, if Debo doesn't want to be there or Debo wants that kind of money and they can't afford him, they're going to have to decide, are we willing to drop players or waive players for Debo Samuels? Or we either negotiate a deal that makes sense with Debo or we trade him. And I think as they move forward going into the draft, uh, and I think, maybe a week before the draft, you're going to hear some uh, conversations with certain organizations where they'll, they'll be interested in Debo Samuels and teams will be willing to possibly give away a first and a second to land Debo Samuels. So uh, I expect Debo and Baker Mayfield to be playing for a new team next year going into the new season. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we'll be talking to Fangraph senior writer Dan Zimborski here on the Sports Loudmouths. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the Sports Loudmouths. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, we are the Sports Loudmouths. I'm your host, Daryl Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can call us at 631-672-3108. Remember, you can go to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Download our app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Well, our second guest is about to come on. We are now talking to Fangraph's senior writer, Dan Ziboriski, right? Uh, Ziboriski, <laughs> right? Am I right? Uh, well, even even in the original Polish, my last name is absolutely horrible. So, Zimboriski. Yeah, it, that that sounds more Italian. Zimboriski. Zimboriski. Uh, yeah, I. It's it's a very difficult name. 
Uh, none of the letters really look like they go together. Uh, so as long <laughs> as we get my first name. And the thing is, they don't always get my first name right. I had an editor that kept calling me Dave. It's like you got the, the last name right, but you can't get Dan right. Really? I mean, I, I can obviously pronounce your first name, Dan. I have a lot of friends named Dan. I mean, so, but your last name, Zipperiski. I, I mean, <laughs> uh, he, he, he was trying to pronounce it to me. I was like, uh, how are we? He's like, Zimborski. Zimborski. So there you go. Anyways, um, how are you? And, and tell us a little bit about Fangraph and how you, how you became a writer for them. Well, it's it's been a long story. Uh, I kind of got involved in the Sabermetric community in baseball in the 90s. Uh, and as I always joke, I, I kind of hung around smarter people than me and kind of tricked them all into thinking I was smart, too. Uh, eventually, Moneyball came out in the early 2000s. And as I always say, we kind of got respectable at that point. Uh, I was blogging at the time. Uh, I started writing for ESPN uh, in early 2010. I wrote pretty exclusively there until 2018. And then I joined Fangraphs. Uh, for, for, for many reasons, but I've had a long history of collaboration with the Fangraphs gang. Uh, and, you know, writing about baseball is a really fun job. So if I complain too much, I mean, that would be kind of gross. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, as, a, as a writer, as a baseball writer, you look at the league and the sabermetrics and the war. And we were just arguing in the beginning of the show <laughs> about or, uh, Otani, Otani and obviously Vladimir Guerrero. I think Vladimir Guerrero was disrespected at the end of the season. I thought he was the MVP. His statistics uh, really stood out as an offensive player. Obviously, he's uh, an everyday first baseman. He's not as good as the top first basemans like a Rizzo or a Freeman, but he's a fantastic player all around. Were you surprised, honestly, were you surprised that Otani won all the third, all 30 uh, votes as the number one, uh, number one MVP of the league last year? I wasn't because when it comes down to it, I mean, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is a better hitter than Otani. There's no question about that. But since the MVP is kind of this hybrid, you know, we it's a hitter award, but sometimes it's also a picture award, mm-hmm. uh, You then you do look at that. And Otani did. He, he's a pretty good picture in addition to a pretty good hitter. Uh, I do think that baseball generally would do better to have kind of explicit – uh, an explicit batter award. I mean, mm-hmm. the Hank Aaron award doesn't really have the same kind of cultural cachet that the MVP award does uh, because the Cy Young award is for pictures only. Right. That's kind of weird. You don't give a hitter Cy Young award if he was really good defensively. Uh, that would be kind of interesting and fun. Uh, and they probably wouldn't let me vote again if I did that. But uh, uh, I I think I would have picked Otani. I didn't vote in that award. Uh, but I, I, I love Vladdy. I love Vladdy though. No, but everybody says, boom, another writer says that Otani should have won uh, the MVP. But I, I, I also – and I, I, you're looking at Otani because he was a pitcher. That's why you're saying that he should have won the MVP. But if you look at Otani's numbers last year as a starting pitcher, they really didn't stick out as amongst the league's best. I mean, his ERA when, – when you look at pitching statistics, you look at the ERA, you look at the whip, uh, you look at the walks – I mean, amongst the league, I, I, the ERA, I think he was 23rd. Whip, he was like in the 30s or the 40s. 
uh, or something like that. 3.18. He was tied for 24th in MLB, 10th in the American League. Right. Uh, these are among pitchers. I don't care. Just tell us at the major leagues. I don't care and about then, the American uh, 1.09 was tied for 23rd in MLB. And, Dan, to put it in perspective, I, I used it for, or for 20 plus starts for starting pitchers. I know that right. wasn't the qualifier. I actually looked at fan graphs, ironically, to do that. The qualifier was a certain amount of innings on that, but I used 20 plus starts. But, but think of it this way. Mm-hmm. Uh, with Otani, like, say you you start out with his hitting stats. Right. No, they weren't like Vladdy's, uh, but he still hit 46 home runs. Mm-hmm. He still had, you know, no PS near 1,000. Uh, now, we do count, you know, defense uh, uh, for a player when we're evaluating the MVP award. If they're a great defensive shortstop, a great defensive first baseman. Right. In a way, a pitcher is a defensive position, and he's literally doing a very important job def- uh you know, preventing runs. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's kind of a philosophical thing uh, because the MVP award doesn't clearly define whether we're voting for hitters, whether we're voting for pitchers. Uh, so in a situation where you have a very good pitcher who wasn't quite elite and a very good hitter who wasn't like, you know, super elite, right. that the person could do both of them is, is what made him just above and beyond in the eyes of the voters. Uh, it's kind of like one of those, you know, those those like super pickup trucks that can go zero to 60 in three seconds. It's like, yeah, you, you have faster supercars, <laughs> but you also can't bring a couch in, in you know, a Bugatti or something. <laughs> so I want to ask from a different perspective with Otani. So being that he's a two-way player, the influence that kind of thing has on the game, we're seeing a couple more teams try to develop him now. Hunter Green just started the year with the Cincinnati Reds, a guy that was a top-five pick. We've seen the Rays have a couple of them, too. Uh, do you think that's going to be a big influence, or do you think Otani is just a one unique type thing where he's going to be the only one like that or the only one at that level? I think he's going to be the only one at that level because it is it is a rarity. You look at baseball history, even when more attention was paid to pitchers hit pitchers hitting, they didn't really hit all that well. You look at someone like Wes Farrell in history who actually hit pretty well, but he wasn't like a star offensive player. That Otani could do both is what kind of makes him uh, a unicorn in a way. I mean, we've had two-way players. I remember Brooks Kieschnick with the Cubs. Oh, God, that was a long time ago now. <laughs> I'm getting old. Uh, but I think the teams will look at it because it's fun and it's efficient for a roster spot. Ironically enough, without, without pictures actually hitting, doing that actually becomes a little less valuable. Uh, but, you know, teams are always trying to innovate in this way. We are talking to Fangraph senior writer Dan Zaborski. So I got it right now. Zaborski. <laughs> See, I'm, I'm pretty good after the second time around. <laughs> Now, we're going into the season, six games into the season, and obviously uh, the Yankees and the Mets here in New York. uh, The Mets right now, their bullpen has not looked good. The Yankees' bullpen has looked fairly good. Their rotation has been horrible. What are your thoughts so far early in the season with the Yankees and the Mets? Well, the Yankees, uh, I... They're a team that they did not really do as much in the offseason as I expected them. It was a very passive team. This did, George Steinbrenner, this would not have been his kind of offseason. Hal is a, is a different matter than George entirely. I was really disappointed they didn't go a little harder after Trevor Story. Yeah, they have some great shortstop prospects, but you know, no team has ever said, oh, we have too many great players in the infield. Whatever are we going to do? That's happened, you know, zero times in history. Uh, the Mets... I mean, they're they're winning games at least, and generally with the Mets, you just don't want them to completely explode. As long as they're kind of winning, you just be happy with it. <laughs> so a lot of the a lot of the rule changes that came out after this, this lockout. Um, is there one in particular that you like, and anything that you are surprised wasn't changed when it came to these players? 
I, I, I was really sad to see uh, the, the biggest change, I think, was the end of those sudden death, you know, hundred game 163 of the season. I, I love those games, and they're taking them away from us. That, that, that There's no game 163 when there's a tie, and mm. playoff spots will be all determined by tiebreakers. And, you know, that's understandable in football because, you know, the players are killing each other. But baseball is, is less physically difficult. You can play seven days a week. You could, you could play that game. And I, I, I'm just very, very sad to see that rule change. We, we look at the game, and, and obviously this offseason, the money that some of these players got. Uh, Simeon got the money that he got uh, having a good season with the Blue Jays. He, he bet on himself. He won. Uh, we've seen Seager get a $300 million contract. I obviously overpaid. Uh, Lindor last year got a $326 million contract. Didn't really earn his money last year. Hopefully he plays better this year. Are you surprised when you look at the contracts that we have seen over the last two years to be over $300 million for these players? I'm not really because age is such a large component of projecting any player. Uh, I've run some numbers uh, on projections for for players, and you take a guy who's a free agent at 26 versus a guy who's free agent at 30, and it literally halves the expected future value of their play. Uh, And we're at a time where teams promote minor leaguers aggressively. We're in an age with a lot of young phenoms because, you know, a lot of these guys have hit the market very young. Manny Machado hit young. Mm-hmm. Mike Trout would have if, if the Angels hadn't extended him. Uh, same with Fernando Tatis Jr., Juan de Franco. You can go on and on and on. Uh, it's We are in a phenom age, and when these guys hit free agency at 25, 26, even 27, that's a huge opportunity for a team because you're not having to pay for age 38, 39, age 40 seasons. Those were, that's where those contracts for players like pools tend to fall apart because you're already investing in like three or four seasons where you don't even think they're going to be good. And in Pujols case, it was more than that. Uh, so I'm not surprised by these numbers. Uh, we saw a little taste of it when A-Rod hit free agency originally, because he was very young also. So we've had a lot of different baseball guests that have asked, been asked this question. When it comes to the Dodgers lineup, a lot of people are saying it could be the best lineup on paper that we've ever seen. So with your statistical analysis, the advanced data you do for fan graphs, where do you stand on that matter? I think that's a little bit of an exaggeration because, one, you, you, still, have, you still have Cody Bellinger, who might be essentially a pitcher uh, offensively in the lineup, taking away the DH. Uh, Chris Taylor is fine, but he's not a superstar. There's questions about Max Muncy's platoon ability. Justin Turner isn't the player he was a few years ago. I think that was excitement from the Freddie Freeman signing. Now, don't get me wrong. The Dodgers are a a very good offense, but I'm not sure that we could call them any kind of legendary status, which I think some people have gone on about. We are talking to Fangraph senior writer Dan Zaborski. Now, Dan, we we go – through the league and, and, and baseball is just so very interesting with statistics and, and obviously we were talking about war, but we've, we've seen a lot of these players develop into superstar players as they progressively got older and became uh, better, more talented players. Now, over the last couple of years, we have seen some pitchers really stand out, some young pitchers in the league. Is there a pitcher right now that you have seen over the last three years that has stood out? I'm not talking about Otani, obviously, winning the MVP, because I don't look at him as a rookie. I'm talking about the young players, the, the 20, 21-year-olds. Is there a pitcher that really has stood out to you in the last three years that has popped out statistically? Well, I think one of my favorites and one of my 
favorite breakout candidates generally every year is Sandy Alcantara. I love watching him pitch. He doesn't get as much attention with the Marlins. His command improved so much uh, from pre-COVID to post-COVID that I think he is kind of on the cusp of becoming a, a, a serious Cy Young candidate. Another player I've loved for a while is Logan Webb. Mm. Uh, my projections for him actually had him with the sixth best ERA among starting pitchers for this season. Uh, he's done nothing so far to, to you know, say that's a, a bad projection because, you know, a lot of projections are going to be bad projections. So those are two of my favorite youngish pitchers. Uh, they're not 22, 23, but COVID kind of right. delayed development. Uh, I guess if you go a little younger, uh, Grayson Rodriguez of the Orioles, I love his stuff. He's his command is improving quickly. Uh, the Orioles are still going to stink, of course, but it'd be nice to have a picture, especially with John Means injured. You're going to have to have someone. <laughs> the games have to end at some point. He's injured now, and he might get traded, so <laughs> they have to yeah. have somebody. So I wanted to ask this because a lot of these pitchers are being used more in different roles with the bullpens, especially. There's not as many great pure closers, and we see the starting pitchers do openers. Do you think that'll end up being more of a norm? Because right now it's only certain teams that are doing it. Some teams do it for the playoffs because of the way these stats are advanced now. Uh, well, you, you have a few things working here. Um, one thing that you see with pitchers is that hitters – go max effort on all pitches these days. And that makes kind of, once they start getting tired the third time through the order, it does get dangerous. Now, you don't pull Max Scherzer or if you, if you value your life, but you are going to continue to see relievers be used aggressively. And relievers are considered more of kind of a unit than like one closer and then the lesser guys because every picture has a role. Every picture, a lot of these closers have different types of stuff. I think that, the, the the role of a reliever has evolved in baseball over the over the decades. You look back at the seventies, and there was kind of this concept of an ace reliever. They weren't really there just to get saves, but they racked up a lot of innings uh, in, in relief, multiple inning outings. Uh, you look at like Goose Gossage, and even in the eighties, you look at like someone like Mark Eichhorn, who had like one hundred and fifty innings in relief in like sixty some games. Right. Uh, so that role is still going to continue to evolve in baseball. Aaron Judge, he, he got an offer uh, before the season started. Uh, I, I guess I, I would say about 20, 30 minutes before the game started, he got he was offered uh, a $213, $214 million contract from the Yankees, which would have made him the highest paid Yankee in Yankee history, which is crazy to say when you see Alex Rodriguez get two $300 million contracts from him, but that, that was an extended time. Uh, are you surprised that Aaron Judge didn't take the contract? And what does Aaron Judge think he's going to get at the end of the season if the Yankees don't sign him? Yeah, it's a pretty risky bit bet on himself because I, I, I'm not crazy about how the Yankees complained about him post-refusal, but it was a more than fair offer because the reality of Aaron Judge is when he hits free agency, he starts off going into his age 31 season. And as I said, teams really know the difference between signing a 31-year-old, no matter how good, and a 26-year-old uh, of, of the same. And you look at some of these contracts that haven't worked out, and they usually are for players that are kind of on the easier side of the defensive spectrum who are entering their 30s. And you don't see as many massive contracts for these guys as there used to be. Now, he could have you know another terrific season, stay healthy, because he did stay healthier than he has been in 2021. Uh, but, you know, a couple of injuries, he doesn't meet 2021, and I don't think he even gets $200 million in that case. But so it's a he, 
again, he's betting on himself. So data metrics that have been for hitters mostly that have helped other guys hit home runs, shortstops, young second baseman now in today's game. Uh, can you see that kind of thing affecting it where they don't have as much position emphasis? I'm not going to say like positionless like some people say the NBA could be, but posi- where they more rely on hitting, just pure hitting data rather than just where you're going to play and fit a role. Well, you, you st- there are still positions in, in, in baseball that do require uh, – better defensive abilities that do have a larger variance between a good player and a bad player. Uh, Like I love Aaron judge in the outfield. I think he's actually underrated defensively. You can actually stick him in center field temporarily. Uh, I don't know if he's like, you know, long-term solution there, but he can fake it and not look terrible out there. Like I think of Todd Hundley in the outfield uh, with the Mets. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) uh, But if you put judge at shortstop, you would, there would be a massive run difference between that. So you're going to see shortstops and second basemen and catchers that all hit, and that power will be emphasized, and there's going to be fewer jobs for players who don't contribute anything with the bat. But I think you'll still see a, a delineation of positions. You look at the American League East, and obviously we mentioned the Yankees, but uh, we know the Rays are going to be up there. No matter who's on their team, who they lose in the offseason, this team always competes because of their pitching staff, their uh, their bullpen, they've always been good. They they've they've learned over the years how to really keep these pitchers healthy. And even with the Red Sox, now the Red Sox didn't play well in the first uh, the first couple of games against the Yankees, but uh, they've played a little bit better. It's still early. Is there a team besides the Rays and obviously the Yankees that really stand out that could obviously win this division? Really, you can make a strong case for any of the four non-Orioles teams. Uh, I'm from Baltimore, so that's a little painful to talk about. But I, I, I feel that Toronto, in a lot of ways, now they have some injuries now. But I think their pitching staff has quite a lot of upside. Right. Uh, and and they're not all related to, to former major leaguers like most of their lineup is. <laughs> uh, but I love the Kevin Gosman signing. I think uh, Kikuchi has some interesting upside his command is uneven uh but people forget and probably didn't watch him in seattle but he can hit 95 96 he's actually one of the hardest throwing lefties uh in a rotation this year which is kind of weird considering where he was a few years ago uh i like the blue jays and that's even growing up uh as a baseball fan in the 80s when Orioles fans and Blue Jays fans did not get along. I'm I'm still bitter that uh, Cito Gaston of the Blue Jays did not start or did not use Mike Mussina in the All-Star game <laughs> that was at Camden Yards. I still hold a grudge against that for that. And that's 30 years later. I was I was a teenager at the time. That was almost as bad as when the, uh, the Bush Stadium hosted the All-Star game and they didn't play Albert Pujols either. Yeah, yeah. You have to. I mean, it's the All-Star game. No one really cares what the result is. Just get everybody on the field. It's like a it's like a little league game. Right. I mean. Every kid you have to play, it's the last game of the season. So expanded playoffs now, adding a sixth team and also changing the format where the, the first two get a bye is kind of like the NFL format used to be. How, uh, what do you think of that format, and how do you think that could change the strategy of the approach in the regular season? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm happy they didn't go to 14 teams. Yeah, uh, I w- I'm not a fan of expanded playoffs simply because the difference between a good baseball team and a lousy baseball team is smaller than in other sports. Uh, you look at people will say, oh, well, you know, the NBA has eight seeds in each conference. And you say, yeah, because most of the time the eight seed is dead in the water to, to the number one seed. It's yeah, there are exceptions, but 
they are definite exceptions. But in, in, in baseball, you give any 500 team three or five games to beat the best team in baseball, and they're going to do that a lot. Just That's because that's how baseball works. There's a lot of luck in baseball. There's a lot of volatility in baseball. So I'm not a fan of that because once you have teams just limping in, then it kind of cheapens the whole championship uh, because b- baseball has 162 games in a season to seed the playoffs. So why just throw it all out the window? That It, it drives me nuts. Dan, these new rules, uh, the major leagues, uh, with this lockout, they they changed up some of the rules. I love the shifting rule, which next year we have to wait until next year where this will be uh, implicated into the game. Are, are you Do you like the new rules? Or are you surprised that they took shifting out? And did you like the addition of DH in the National League? Uh, I, was, I was always kind of on the fence with the designated hitter because – it seems like they're always just like blood feuds between AL fans and NL fans. But in in Baltimore on TV, we you know we got Atlanta TB, TBS growing up. We got WWR for the Mets. Uh, we got WGN for the Cubs. So I grew up watching DH games and non-DH games, and they both were work for me. I always thought we were gonna when baseball had daily interleague play. That was kind of the end of pitchers hitting sooner or later, simply because it made a weird roster requirement for NL teams because now that the DH isn't like this 15 game set twice a year, then you have to kind of carry a guy and it, it, it was extremely awkward. So I guess I'm a fan of it and it was inevitable and it's good to, to have the rules be a little consistent, but I am kind of going to be a little sad to not see pitchers hit, even though pitchers kind of suck at hitting. <laughs> uh, the shift rule, I've, I've kind of come around on that over the years. I was always like, well, they shouldn't be punished for for being more efficient at, at playing defense. But on a, some level, baseball is an entertainment product, and I don't think it's good for baseball when you don't have a lot of actual hits in play, when the fielding is irrelevant, uh, when you have guys hit screaming liners into into the outfield that used to be a single. is like, no, the second baseman is out there. Uh, halfway to right field. So I'm kind of for it now, and some people are mad at me for that, but baseball does have to change, and if you can make the game more exciting without changing the fundamental concepts, you don't necessarily have to stick to the exact same rules that they set in you know, 1870. It's not like these were handed down on stone tablets. I mean, the mounds have changed. The distances have changed. I mean, at the start, you could call a high pitch or a low pitch. I mean, we, they didn't stick to that because it was stupid. Uh, I'm, I'm a fan of the shift rule now. So for this to be positive or negative, one bold team prediction for this season and a player prediction for this season. Uh, let's see. I think for my bold prediction, I'm going to say uh, that. Hmm. See, you see, I'm I'm very cautious. I'm going to say that the the St. Louis Cardinals will win the NL Central by at least five games over the Brewers. As everybody knows, we are talking to Fangraphs senior writer Dan Zaborski. Dan, uh, we we look at the league and and we look at the National League and the American League. The powerhouses in the American League. It's very top heavy and weak on the bottom half. In the National League. 
there's there are a lot of good teams and a, a lot of a lot of surprises could happen this year. I mean, Philadelphia doesn't have a bullpen, but if Philadelphia rotation can actually figure things out, this team with the power that they have in the lineup could compete in the National League East. We talk about uh, the Padres. The Padres were supposed to be a playoff team last year with all the talent that they had. They fell short, maybe because of the whole situation with Tatis and uh, Machado at the end of the season arguing on the bench. Who knows? Is there a team that really stands out this year going into the season that could surprise you and and go to the World Series? Well, it doesn't look great now, but I still think that the Marlins, with their young pitching staff, if they just cobble together average-ish hitting, they could really surprise. Because once you get to the playoffs, the top few pitchers in your rotation take in uh, a a disproportional uh, amount of playing time so you can ride a couple like two or three good starters in the playoffs the nationals did that a few years ago uh i think that you you don't like how they started but the marlins i think really could surprise some people even if i'm not a big fan of the organization itself (laughs) is there anything whether it's a concept in the game something with the players that you think would make the game better what would it be and why i i do think that they need to uh, when we talk about rule changes like shifting, uh, they do have uh, the Atlantic League to kind of play around with these rules. I would actually love to see them play, test it out in the Atlantic League first, obviously, with the length of the base paths. Mm-hmm. Uh, they picked 90 feet in the 1800s, not because of any determination, but they said that it felt like a good balance. And a good balance then is not necessarily a good balance 50, 150 years later. Uh if you have shorter bases, you more encourage more balls in play. All of a sudden, you have more infield singles. You have more doubles. Uh, it makes putting the ball in play have more value, and I think that does make a more interesting game. Now, if it's terrible, which it might be, that's the purpose of experimentation. Uh, you, you don't know ahead of time if, if these rules are going to be non-insane, uh, but I would like that to be aggressive at these things. You don't have to dr- drastically change the game. I, I think that changing a small number between base paths is less significant than the weird zombie ghost runner extra <laughs> innings that we've had. Uh, that that was a real odd thing. I mean, a guy just appears on second base. That's that's a much larger violation of baseball's kind of core conceit of how it works. Uh, <laughs> I, I'd like him to just go Go a little crazy with it at the Atlantic League. You know, Zombie base runner? You mean Bartolo Colon running the bases? <laughs> <laughs> let me ask you a question, Dan, before we let you go. If you were to pick four players to be your Ghostbusters, who would they be? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'd pick Max Scherzer first because he would frighten the hell out of the ghost. Especially with his uh, two different color yeah, eyes. Yeah. <laughs> he, 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 he'd, he'd stare them down. Uh I would pick Albert Pujols mm. because if we have to run away from ghosts, I might be able to run faster than him at this point. <laughs> uh, I, I'd pick Mike Trout because you, you need a you need a you need a kind of a a guy to be your billboard advertisement guy, <laughs> and uh, I think Bryce Harper. He seems like he'd be fun on a Ghostbusters team. <laughs> Carl says, Kyle Schwarber, he hits missiles. <laughs> As everybody knows, we are talking to Fangraph senior writer Dan Zaborski. Dan, tell the fans how they can find you on social media. Well, you can find me on social media at DZimborski on Twitter. I have to spell that, D-S-Z-Y-M-B-O-R-S-K-I. 
everyone gets that wrong. Twitter can fix it for you. You can find me at Fangraphs. You can still find me occasionally at ESPN, not as much as when I was writing there full time. Uh, and actually, for the next two weeks, I'm on vacation. But you can find me after that. <laughs> Where are you going on vacation? Oh, I'm just not doing anything. That's oh. my vacation. I, I, that vacation. Would the, that would be the yes. smart thing. Yes. Yeah, it's the it's the 10 hours of sleep a day vacation. Well, I, that's good. And I, obviously, with everything coming up and the baseball season long and progressive, well, you're going to have to give yourself a lot of sleep before you got to get back to work. Yeah, uh, and let's see. And I have to kind of train for the midseason drinking because I haven't – I've only been to one game this year, my – my sneaking of alcohol into a press box game isn't as tight as it as it usually is. Uh, I'll, I'll do some training while I'm out. Dan, thank you for joining us, and we'd love to get you back on again. My producer, Speedy, will be reaching out to you soon, my friend. Thanks for having me on, guys. Anytime. Absolutely. Dan Zaborski. Yes, I got it right. Zimborski uh, from Fangraph, uh, senior writer, fantastic guy. Work he writes for ESPN. Um, he's just amazing. He, he really is. And he, listen, I again, I'm going to go back to the. To me, you're always trying to find something, a segment that is interesting to argue about. And I think the Otani and Vladimir Guerrero is such a good argument because yes, a lot of writers are going to say because he was a dual threat that he should have won the MVP. And I think there should be an MPP, most popular player, because that's what he was last year. He was most popular player throughout the league. But, uh, again, you heard it from Dan uh, with, with the, the – uh, what is the award for uh, slugging? Or what, what, is, what, what did Vladimir – The Hank Aaron Award. Yeah. The Hank Aaron Award. It's not as important as the MVP, and I think it should be as important because what he did last year was – Really amazing. It really was. So uh, he didn't get the credit that he deserved. He almost – he had an opportunity to win the Triple Crown with 40 yep. games left mm-hmm. and, and obviously fell short. Yeah, he just had a one bad batting average slump. He still had the home runs. He just did not get the batting average to get that kind of thing. But even so, like, he's still at 311. It was third. <laughs> it, honestly, he's uh, he was a fantastic – he is a fantastic player, and he was a fantastic player last year. And let's see if Otani can repeat this year. I, I guarantee so you So far, he's off to a slow start. So. I guarantee you won't. Yeah, that level of regression is bound to happen – just a matter of how much really with him because the angels really need that kind of thing. Now they're getting guys back healthy this year that are better, which is better than what they had the lineup last year, but still they're still trying to look for that next step. The angels have always been this team on paper. That's been really good. And have well, they have Mike Trout. I know, but like, even so they brought in a lot of flashy names and it just hasn't worked out. And eventually you have to come to the point where you haven't made the playoffs in eight years. You were a one seed in the playoffs that year, got swept by the Royals. I mean, these expectations. Didn't the Royals win the, the World Series? The Royals series? went to the World Series that year. They lost against the Giants. Oh, they won right. the World Series the next year against the Mets. That's right. But, the, like, the Royals, a, a good team, but, like, not a team that was. Great defensive team. Great defensive team, but, not, like, it wasn't like that powerhouse team. Like, the powerhouse teams were the Tigers and the Orioles, really, that year, in terms of, like, raw roster talent. Like, you didn't. You, you got swept by that team. Like, they didn't, they didn't even show up. I, didn't, I don't think they had a. I don't think they had a home run until a third game or something like that. Like, that's pretty bad for a team that's supposed to pride themselves on offense. And that team had depth, too. Like, that team had talent, and they couldn't do it. So there's always that team. <clears throat> I always compared them to the to the Mets in the American League, kind of, because they bring in these big names, and they, they have duds a lot of the time, too. And when they have high expectations on them, they just flop. And Jeff says, so far, everyone, everyone has picked Otani Errols on an island by himself. That is not true. I have talked to plenty of people online on Twitter that thought it was an outrage that um, 
Otani won all 30 votes as the number one MVP last year, as, as first ballot votes for as an MVP. So you're wrong, Jeff, because you're sitting here and you think you're always right when you're not, okay? Just like you think the Celtics are going to run over everybody if Williams comes back, which is a joke, okay? They're not. But, of course, because you're a Celtics fan and you're a Patriots fan and you're a Bruins fan and you're a Red Sox fan, all you keep saying is Rafael Devers is the best young player in baseball, which he's not. So everything that you, comes out of your mouth is what you feel to be right when you're wrong. Okay. Now, I didn't say I was right. My argument is is that Vladimir Guerrero didn't get enough credit last year after having a season that he had. You do not give a player 30 first-place votes after having the season Vladimir Guerrero had, which we have looked at the statistics. The last player to have the stats that Vladimir Guerrero had was 10 years after Vlad Guerrero did it. So I don't know how you—even Mike Trout. Let, let's ask you—let let me ask you this question, question Speedy. If Mike Trout had anywhere close to the seasons he had for his MVP seasons, does does Mike Trout win the MVP? He should. He, <laughs> he probably would. He probably would. You know why? Because he's a more popular popular player than Yeah, Vladimir but even Guerrero. he doesn't have the popularity that some of these other guys do too. Like no Mike, question. Mike Trout is No like... question, but this is this is what I'm saying. Vlad Guerrero has had better numbers than Mike Trout did his MVP seasons. He had better numbers than Mike Trout did. And Mike Trout won an MVP, hands down. He won, uh, I think, two of, two out of the three years that he won the MVP. Was he had thirty of the first place votes? Yeah, he had uh, he had three different MVP seasons. His first one was in twenty fourteen. Had what was his number? Two eighty seven batting average. He had thirty six home runs, one hundred eleven RBIs, mm-hmm. uh, on base percentage three seventy seven, mm-hmm. and uh, OPS plus almost in the thousands. Okay, yeah, yeah, um, twenty sixteen. He had. 315 average, mm-hmm. uh, 100 RBIs, 29 home runs, a 441 on base percentage, which led the league. Mm-hmm. And then 2019, that was three years ago, 45 home runs, 104 RBIs. That was his best year. 291, hit four, uh, 438 on base percentage, 1.083 OPS. That was the only year that I can honestly, that stands out that he won the MVP that was just as good or a little bit better than Vladimir Guerrero, okay? And he won all three Cy Youngs. But Vladimir Guerrero, who had numbers just like that last year, did not win. Okay, so yes, if I'm going to sit here right now, I'm not saying Otani shouldn't have won the MVP. I'm saying that Vladimir Vladimir Guerrero didn't get enough credit, and he should have had at least one, two, or maybe even five votes as first place votes to go and be the MVP last year. It was it to me, it's wrong, and that the league and the writers were wrong. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying that Otani shouldn't have won the MVP. I'm saying that if you look at the numbers, I, there's no reason why uh, Vladimir Guerrero didn't have any of those first place votes. That's what I'm saying. So I don't know what you're crying about, Jeff. You're wrong. You always take words out of my mouth, which makes no sense. And that's why your arguments don't vary to anything that you believe in, but everybody else what comes out of your mouth. So whatever. Anyways. <laughs> Uh, are we waiting for Mark? And uh, Gar- Gar- yeah, Gerard. Gerard is looking for the link. He he's finding it now, and I I'm not. Ba- first yet. of all, he's saying now uh, he's backpedaling. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. If people want, no, Otani- he stood by Vlad Junior winning. Yes, I stood from the beginning. Vlad Junior winning. Okay, you didn't pick Vlad. First of all, you didn't take Otani before the season started to win the MVP. No, I don't think anybody. Jeff, does. you didn't do that. Okay, I took Vlad Guerrero, and by the way, I'm taking Vlad Guerrero again this year to win the MVP. <laughs> He's on a vengeance tour. Yes, for I, not winning it last year. I, I guarantee. I, I'm I'm going to take it again. So 
Again, I'm going to sit here. You're not. Are you going to make guarantees on who you're going to pick for the MVP? It's it's so funny. It's so funny. I sit here every single show and I listen to Jeff just tackle and attack everybody. But when it comes to somebody attacking Jeff, oh, they're absolutely wrong. Absolutely wrong. <laughs> Anyways, uh, what, what's going on with Grug? Uh, no, they're they're coming in. They're they're coming in. They're coming. Yes, in I'm not saying. He's, what is he writing right now? You just said, I'm not saying Otani shouldn't have won. Pick a story, Tony. <laughs> Carl says the chase of it at this revenge store. Uh-oh, a Patriots player on Michigan, Jeff. How are you going to be able to handle that? Jeff, again, I'm going to say this, and I think you've you got to take my words, okay? I'm going to say it nice and slow for you so you can understand. I thought Vladimir Guerrero should have won the MVP. I am not surprised that he didn't because this guy was a dual-threat player as a pitcher. But I also, my argument going into this argument was, I thought Otani getting 31st place votes is ridiculous. And that's why I think the Baseball Writing Association is completely wrong. That's what I'm saying. I am not taking shots that Otani won. I could care less who won the MVP, even though I think Vladimir Guerrero should have won. I'm taking shots that Vladimir Guerrero didn't get any first place votes. That's what I'm saying when he deserved them. Jeff says we have a couple of mission guys. I love Owenu. Stuck says I do love me some some Gerard. Yes, I know he's probably your third favorite person. Stuck. So when are they planning to come in? By the way, I don't know. I, I texted them like five times. <laughs> Why don't we go to a quick break? Break when we come back, we'll get into some basketball conversation. Uh, obviously, the playoffs are a couple of days away. Uh, what teams do we think stand out to win an NBA title, and what teams don't? When we come back, we'll get into that here on the Sports Lab Mouse. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the Sports Loud Mouse. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Sports Loud Mouse. You can call us at 631-672-3108. You can go to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Download our app by going to iOS, WWSRN or Android, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Great show. I'd like to thank, obviously, Antoine Harris for joining us. Uh, I'm definitely going to be speaking to him after the show about Sneakerhead University. I'm a big sneaker fan, and he's got a friend that does shirts, so uh, we will see what type of shirts he has, because I do collect shirts as well. Um, and uh, Zimborski, Mr. Dan Zimborski, ESPN writer and Fangraph senior writer. Fantastic interview. I loved what he had to say. Uh, we did get on into the Otani stuff and, and, and throughout the league. So a, a lot of different things that we got into, not only with football and baseball with our guests. We are waiting, we're waiting for Gerard and uh, obviously Mark. We well, got, we got one. As far as Mark is concerned, we, we expect Mark to come in five minutes before the show is over that's what usually happens. <laughs> it usually always happens but anyways we have our first guest of the bunch we are now talking to the lead guy the host of alabama's great tv show overtime gerard what's going on gerard 
Hey, boys, how are you? I mean, like, I had to change different computers. My Chrome was working on one, so we got it all fixed up, all the updates and whatnot. But I've been good. Everything's good. How are you guys? We are good. Where's that arrow behind you? I don't see that arrow on the top of the wall anymore. Whatever. No, no, no. So I'm in a different location right now. Okay. I'm at my friend's place, and so – the, the spear that I normally have at my place, it's, it's, it's still there. I still got the spear um, at my friend's house right now. So, yes, yeah, different location, different background. Well, we really appreciate you joining us. Of course, Mark is late, as always. But uh, <laughs> why don't we get into a little bit of college football first with you, and then we'll go throughout the NFL and some baseball sure. conversation with you. Um, we did speak to you last about Alabama uh, falling short in the national championship. Right, um, right. Going into this offseason, what is go- going into the offseason? What sticks out to you going into the new season next year? Is Alabama the favorites to winning the national championship next year? I think I think they're close. The thing about Alabama to me this year is they returned the best offensive player in the country in the Heisman Trophy winner in Bryce Young. They returned the best defensive player in the country in Will Anderson, the defensive lineman. Now, the the, the thing is, is that what really hurt Bama last year was the surrounding cast. It was the wide receivers. They got hurt in the middle of the year and late in the year. John Mechie got hurt, and then Jamison Williams got hurt, and you will see their value in the upcoming draft. Jamison Williams might be the third or fourth wide receiver taken. Uh, John Mechie, I think, will be a great receiver. I think a lot of teams will will, will pause on him because his injury is probably a little bit more severe than Jamison Williams' injury. Um, but the thing is, they have Bryce Young. He's, he's an NFL quarterback, and – Every scout always says that this draft this year, quarterbacks, Malik Willis, maybe Kenny Pickett, maybe, but next year's class is really good because you have Bryce Young with Bama, you got CJ Stroud, Ohio State, you got a, a lot of different quarterbacks that remind us of last year's quarterback draft, and a lot of those guys ended up being first rounders and making key contributions to their NFL franchises. And so that's next year's draft. And I think that this year we'll have a certain situation where you'll, you'll get a lot of players. I think this year on the college level, stepping up because of what we see from the quarterback play and Bryce Young probably being the, the main one of those guys. So I'm just going to read some of Jeff's comments. Jeff naturally comes in with oh, where my gosh. dog's my, at. My, okay, so my, my boy Jeff. So is he, is he back on the Georgia train once again? Oh, yeah. No, he's still on the Georgia train. Not for not for as much for you guys with Alabama as much as it is right. for Carl now with Michigan. He just loves now <laughs> taking shots at Michigan as this new thing ever since the uh, mainly the NCAA tournament more than anything else. So Jeff, Jeff goes, where's my dog? Georgia just scored again, meeting on Michigan, referring to that blowout. Uh, he says, the best offensive player in the country is on at LSU, and here we go with Alabama QBs again. So, you were mentioning... Well, the, uh, in yeah. fairness, the question was about Alabama, so I was going to answer that. <laughs> I just want to ask you, because you were you were hyping up this receiver in particular, and, and Guy E. Hall, a guy that actually played very well in the national championship yeah. game, but now yeah. transfers, enters the transfer portal now. So, are you surprised at that kind of thing, especially now getting the opportunity now with Jamison Williams going the NFL it it looks it's the thing is is about Alabama and I think it's the same thing with Bill Belichick it's they they run such a close tight-knit program to where a lot of the secrets don't really get out so you don't get a chance to really understand what's really going on in the background from a Jai Hall all we heard from the Bama camp was that he broke team policy and that could be anything that could be academic that could be on the field, that could be off the field, whatever the case is. And so don't really know how to parse it. And the only, a lot of times, the only way that you do know how to actually assess it is by 
when they leave and then they start talking and then those reports come out after they leave. So we might get those reports later. The thing is that Alabama is not for everybody. And people in the NFL will tell you that. Julio Jones has said this since 2008, 2009. Bama's not for everybody. And uh, I'm, I'm sure George is the same way because it's a carbon copy given Kirby Smart's background with Nick Saban. So it's, it's, it's a situation where it's not for everybody. But I think with the Jayhawk last year, about this time last year, 8A game last year, the spring game is when he really showed out. And I was like, this might be a guy to watch out for. And I put the cart before the horse because I was like, okay, if he does this against the Bama secondary, what's he going to do against Tennessee and against Florida and against Georgia? And obviously at the time, I kind of – I didn't put Georgia in the same light that probably I should have that Jeff accurately did Mm -hmm. because they ended up winning the national championship. And and so – so he's one of them. But the thing is, I think what really spotlighted the wide receiver core is the fact that the two stars got hurt late in the year. And then Bryce Young couldn't go to anybody. And then Nick Saban called them out this offseason. And he said, we had a whole lot of guys who were kings of their high school, who were the superstars of whatever school they went to. They were mad, angry, pissed off that they didn't get a chance to play in college. And then when their turn came, they weren't ready. They weren't ready for that spotlight. And we saw that in January. Speaking of Georgia, Jeff has arrived. <laughs> okay. Good evening, Garage. Uh, yes, the question may have been about Alabama, but you then said, Bryce Young's the best offensive player in the country. False. Keyshawn Boutte is the best. Bryce Young might be the best quarterback. But again, he's also the quarterback that got body bagged in the national championship game by a backup, a backup yeah. quarterback beat him. That's true. No, that, that, that is very, it's very true. And there was Pat, the, the offensive line was a bit of a patchwork last year for Alabama. And it's going to be again this year um, as well. But I mean, I can give no bones about it. 11 on 11, Bama's offense to Georgia's defense. Georgia had better players. And you were 1,000% right on that. I just gave Alabama more credit offensively just because of the way that the rules are designed. We're seeing this in college football. We're seeing this in NFL and even in high school football that we cover a lot. Like you just the, – the middle of the field, the edges of the field, a lot of that you could was, – was for the defense. The defense can use the battery as a 12th defender, and they can use the middle of the field to scare receivers, and you just can't do that anymore. And so I thought good offenses can make – good defenses not look that good. But the thing is that Georgia had an elite defense, and we saw that exposed in the national championship game in a way that we didn't see in Atlanta in the SEC title game. We are talking to Alabama's lead guy from the show Overtime, Gerard. What's, so, so, Gerard, we, we're going into uh, a new season for the NFL. The draft is around the corner. And sure. obviously your New England Patriots, uh, they dra- drafted last year Mac Jones, who to me was one of the best o- offensive rookie players of the league last year. Going into this year's draft, where does New England go in the first round? And are you surprised with the, the growth of a young quarterback last year as well as we did see Mac Jones? The first question is, I honestly Be think honest, they, they need it because it's an Alabama quarterback. <laughs> Jeff, you keep forgetting that I'm actually an Auburn fan. Bama is good for me. I, I won't lie. I'm going to do a different caveat right here. Bama is good for me from a work perspective because it's content. But outside of that, I'm not a big fan. I'm not a Bama fan. But the thing is, is that uh, in general, the New England Patriots, in my opinion, should they need to go after a weapon. And for some reason, I don't know what it is. 
every genius has a blind spot. They said Nikola Tesla went crazy. They said, you know, like every genius has some kind of spot in their head where they, it just doesn't compute. And for some reason, Bill Belichick just does not accurately hit on guys that are weapons guys in the, in the first, in the early rounds, everybody's been late. The guys that he's hit on has been late. Uh, Julian Edelman was a seventh round pick. He got Wes Welker in a trade from Miami. And, and all these guys came in either late in the draft, traded for them, or they became a star in the NFL. And he was able to use their stardom and make it fit in their system. I want them to go after a weapon, but in some ways, I think it's the kiss of death. Guy was, was supposed to be good, but he's not going to be good because he was drafted first round by the Patriots. And so if you can't go there, then I trust Bill Belichick defensively, both drafting and developing. And that's the thing with Belichick. Belichick, to me, is such a great developer that if he could just package a piece, package a couple of the, the, the pieces, get a guy that he thinks can contribute defensively or maybe along the offensive line early on in the draft, and then maybe package a few pieces to get a player later on, because I think he does that very well. Um, but the thing is, is that it's just hard. In my opinion, it's hard for really any team to just plug and play wide receivers. We've seen the Vikings do it with Justin Jefferson. We saw the Bengals do it last year uh, with with uh, Jamar Chase. It's, but to me, that's the harder thing. The, the more realistic, quote unquote, route is to get a guy, develop him, second year, third year, fourth year, it pops, and then they're ready to go off. Um, but to me, the, the Patriots are, are lacking in, 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 in weapons. Um, and so they, they need to address that, whether it's addressing it with current pros or getting a college guy and crossing your fingers because that's Bel- Belichick's cro- that, that, that's his that's his motif right now. It's just cross oh, your I fingers. I like that word motif. Like it. Just, <laughs> you know, when you're an English minor, Errol, you just gotta you gotta learn new words. You gotta learn a way to. You damn right, it. I do. <laughs> is is, is Garon a Patriots fan? Yes, he is. Yes, he is. Yeah, God, yeah. Damn, I, I respect you so much more now. <laughs> Do you ever listen? I, I mean, he's been saying that every single time he's been on the show. This is like the third or fourth time he's been on the show. And he's... Not, I, got, I got caught up in blur. My mind got all fuzzy as soon as he started hyping up Alabama players for no reason. <laughs> he gets paid for an Alabama TV radio, a TV station. Of course, he's gonna he's gonna boost up what yeah. Alabama is as an organization. My, Honestly, my whole mind went fuzzy as soon as he was like, "Well, we had Mechie get hurt and Jameson Williams get hurt in the game," and it blows my mind that people forget that. George's best quarterback, JT Daniels, didn't play, and they lost with a backup. And George Pickens, when he played three snaps, George Pickens is a beast, and he wasn't playing. So Georgia had some guys hurt, too. And, and they no, lost, they, and they didn't have Anderson either. That's right. That's right. Well, and I won't lie because I was not into injury, and that's just sheer stupidity. So I wouldn't even count <laughs> yeah. him. Yeah. And, and I won't lie. I was, I was kind of upset about Pickens because Pickens, he graduated from Hoover High School, which is maybe 12 miles down the road from where I went to high school in Homewood. It's a suburb of Birmingham, and Pickens was an Auburn commit for a very, very long time, and then just decided to go against Gus and went to Georgia. And so, to to see what he did at Georgia kind of made me upset as a football fan, as a fan of Auburn since I was five years old. But uh, but yeah, it, it's it's to me number one. I will never say we in Alabama. Those words will never cross my mouth ever. <laughs> ever. <laughs> there, there, there'll, be people, there'll be people who will cancel me for their entire life and ever put we and Bama in the same sentence. Does, does it sting at all, uh, Gerard, even, even just a little, that 
you know, every year, draft after draft, you see the Ruben Fosters, the Tim Williams, the Barmores, the the who's the other defensive tackle plays for Washington? Forget who that is. Deron Payne or Jonathan Allen. Jonathan, Jonathan Allen, he was another top yeah. guy. Year after year, you see these drafts. They're always loaded with Alabama players. Does it sting that Evan Neal's the only Alabama guy in the first round, and then it's just loaded with dogs? Loaded <laughs> with dogs. <laughs> Yeah. Why don't you bark, Jeff? It doesn't bother me, nor does it surprise me, Jeff, because the thing is, is that you're right. The old drafts used to be full of guys, and you mentioned them. You can go all the way back to Rolando McClain and uh, all the way from Rolando McClain to Patrick Sertan. That's maybe 12, 13 drafts. The defensive coordinator for all those players, outside of Patrick Sertain, Kirby Smart. He developed those guys. So, like, it doesn't surprise me that he went to Georgia and had the same success there as he did in Tuscaloosa. So I wanted to ask because the last time we had you on, there's been a lot of chaos with the NFL, the trades, especially all these receivers that are both rumored to get traded and the two that have gotten traded. What are your thoughts on those? Oh, to to me, there's no bigger crate. There's no crazier market right now. Mm. And I'm talking every market. I'm talking about the the, the oil market. I'm talking about the stock market. I'm talking about the cryptocurrency market. No market has changed more than the wide receiver market in the NFL. Because good receivers used to go for maybe $8, $10, 12000000 million. To see these guys get $30 million is ridiculous. But I think what I think we're walking into, we're walking into a, an NFL, and not just NFL, we're walking into football, where – it's now seven on seven, essentially. And I don't mean to like give all the tropes about, you know, we're just sissifying football, put dresses. I'm not doing that. But the thing is, it's now become a skills game. So get a good quarterback, get a few good receivers, and now you can average 28 a game. And if you have a good, competent defense, that's the reason why the Bengals, who were flawed on so many different levels, found themselves in the Super Bowl because they didn't go out and address, hey, our quarterback got sacked 70 times his rookie year. Let's go solidify the offensive line. They didn't do that. They went and got Jamar Chase, and Jamar Chase had a crazy year. And I think that's where football's trending. We're, we're trending in a way where it's receivers and it's quarterbacks. And if you can get guys that whether play college together or just have a certain dynamic with one another, you're on a different level. And that's the reason why, and I'm just going to toot my Patriots horn here. Brady had so much of a, like he had so much of a heads up on so many guys because he just worked with receivers. He had, whether it was a receiver that can go over the middle short, whether it was a fullback like Rex Burkhead to a middle guy like Julian Edelman to a media intermediate guy like Gronk to a deep guy like Randy Moss. Brady worked with all of them. Mm. Peyton Manning worked with all of them. And that's where football's trending. We saw it in the early 2000s, and it has exploded in in 2010s and now in the 2020s. And I don't think it's stopping. And so that's the reason why it doesn't really surprise me that now you just put a good quarterback with a good core, then then you're in decent shape, which is is the reason why the market for the receivers, I just think that there's now a value on them that we didn't place before. Because now you have a safety net and a guy like Tyreek Hill who can help out Tua. You have a safety net and a guy that explodes from the wide receiver position. And now their their position now is so much more valuable. And so if DK goes to Aaron Rodgers, that's a threat. If if you have a Devontae Adams that now goes to Derek Carr, now you have a threat. And so you have a one-two punch that if you have that, they are now your offense is now built 
even better against the better defenses in the NFL. And I don't think that's exclusive to the NFL. It's coming to college. To Jeff's point last year, Georgia's defense was better than Bama's offense, but that's going to be few and far between where the defense is a little bit better than the offense. You have to just build a stack defense, and it takes a great coach, and Kirby Smart was that. No defense, let her be the dogs, Jeff. I'm not cracking on Alabama fan, and I'm not a Georgia fan. I just happened to pick them preseason last year. For sure, yeah, yeah. Year, right? Like, but he knows good defense. It's just Quinn and Williams, uh, Payne, Reuben Foster. He, he, dude, he's seen good defense. Dude, the dogs' defense was special. They really oh, were. Yeah. That's just what it was. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was literally when you watched it, when you watched their speed of their defense, you literally said they're playing on a completely different level than good players, than guys that are going to make a living in the NFL. Their their defense looked like a professional defense playing college football. And I give all, that all you have to do is look at the first round and see Nicole Dean, Jordan Davis, yep. Yep. Uh, Walker. Um, you know, all these guys. Why? Like the other defensive tackle, too. <laughs> right. There's like four or five Bulldogs in the first round. And, and normally, all doing, you know, respect to Glover here, normally that's Alabama players. Normally. Yeah. Right. Yeah. As, right. Every, as everybody knows, we are talking to Alabama's lead TV show host for sports, the, the show Overtime, Gerard. Uh, Gerard, uh, you look at the AFC and the NFC, the powerhouse NFC that's been really structured to be the best league out of the AFC and NFC has fallen apart this offseason. I mean, quarterbacks, wide receivers, running backs, defensive players either got traded, uh, free agents. They've all gone to the AFC. When you look at the AFC, who so far this offseason has won amongst the league's uh, top free agents? I think the Raiders have done such a good job for themselves. Um, I, I, I really like what they did. I like the fact that Josh McDaniels got a head coaching job there. And then I love what they've done with Derek Carr. They said, hey, we're going to give you an extension. And then they gave him a, a number one wide receiver. Will they win that division? I, who's to say because that division is so freaking tough. I really, really like what they did in the AFC. Um, the Chiefs, to me, I'm not saying Tyreek Hill is everything. But I think the Chiefs think that they're plug-and-play a little bit more than they actually are plug-and-play. And I would not be a bit surprised if they take a step back. I love what the Broncos did. They, to me, represent what Tampa Bay was right before they got Tom Brady. Right before they got 12, they were a quarterback away. And I think the Denver Broncos right now were a quarterback away. And I think they got their guy. They got a guy that gave them a chance. And we saw it work with Tom Brady year one. We saw it work with Matt Stafford year one. This will be the trend. If it works out in Denver, this will now be a solidified thing. Don't go, unless you just are a home run guy at quarterback, then don't worry about anything. Just go get the, go build out your roster as best as you can. Go draft well, and then go get the guy. Go get the quarterback. Because to me, the last two teams that have held the Lombardi Trophy have done exactly that. They went and got everybody else. They went and got the Mike Evanses. They went and got the Cooper Cups. They went and got the Odells. They went and got the Tyler Higbees. They went and got everybody else around them. And then they just got a quarterback in to solidify it. The Broncos, if they are to do the trajectory of what we've seen so far, you can't hate what they've done. But the thing is that they occupy the same division as the other guys. Um, going to the NFC, is it a surprise that Brady came back? You, you have three teams. You have the L.A. Rams. With Matt Stafford, and obviously that 
ridiculous crew. You have the Green Bay Packers just paid Brett Favre the GDP of Dubai. And then everybody else after that is just like, who are these guys? And then you have the Buccaneers who basically reloaded from 2019-2020. So honestly, I, I think it's a three it's a three horse race. And at any point in time, any of those three teams can win. I'm saying Packers now. Packers, Rams. San Francisco's still there if they keep Debo Samuels. They're still there. I'm, I'm not. I, I love their roster. Not sold on Trey Lance. Mm. Not yet. Not yet. And honestly, Jimmy, we, we, Jimmy G was he, – Jimmy G's so great, and he plays a little bit above his head, but he will make that bonehead mistake. So, Errol, I agree with you that I do like – I like the construct of the 49ers. But the 49ers are in the same situation and as – as the Denver Broncos. They're in a situation where they're a elite, legit quarterback away. They, they rolled the dice on Trey Lance. We'll see. I'm not sold yet, but we'll see. And they did what they could with Jimmy. And depending on what they get for Jimmy after that, it's it's kind of up in the air. Who knows about Arizona Cardinals? I like Kyler, but his seems to be the same story. He's 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 a leprechaun and he gets hurt at the end of the year because he's you know because they play 17 games and he's very small. He's gonna get hurt. And so and so like I, I think it's a three-horse race. And I think the teams that are the most equipped, the defending champions of the Rams and Tom Brady. The you forget about in that division the Chargers too, because I think the Chargers made the biggest acquisitions in the offseason. JC Jackson is yes. not something to to, yeah. to complain about as far as the defensive uh, pro, you know, defensive cornerback uh, who I right. believe was one of the best cornerbacks in all of football last year and the last two years. And mm. they added Khalil Mack on a trade. I mean that front seven is going to be dangerous. And they have a quarterback. They have a good running game, and they have good wide receivers. This team is as stacked as any team in the NFL. They're one of my favorites to come out of the AFC this year. Yeah, I think last year was a little bit disappointing, which I think it actually might be a good thing in hindsight because they were that close to the playoffs, and then they saw what represented the AFC. And I have to think that everybody in the Chargers building understands and probably knows Hey, we are built better than the Cincinnati Bengals. And if they represented this conference mm-hmm. in the AFC, I think that we can. I think that's what's going on in the minds of Charger fans. And then to see what they've done in the offseason, I think they're right there with them. It's 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 not a show me thing, but for some reason, and I, God love him. He's 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 an Alabama guy, but ever since Phillip Rivers, the Chargers to me are in the exact same place as I can't really think of a comparable team, but they're in a show-me place. I just have to see it to believe it because the Chargers with Phillip Rivers were there, 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 and it just seemed like every time they were eight points down and Phillip Rivers had to go the length of the field with one timeout and he had to go down there and score a touchdown and he couldn't. And the fact that they were right there last year mm. and they couldn't get there, the, I hate to say it because this is a kind of a weak take in the sports opinion business, I got to see it to believe it with the Chargers. Everything on paper makes sense for them to be there, but I haven't seen it yet. And because I didn't see it for 15 years with Phillip Rivers, <laughs> I'm just not going to say that I'm ready to see it now. And maybe the sins of Phillip Rivers, the domino effect is I'm just, <laughs> I'm just applying that to Justin Herbert. But here we go. It, it always is, Gerard. Five words <laughs> that I don't know if I've mentioned where you've been on this show. Least clutch team in football is what I call them. <laughs> and that's not wrong. I think it's a great assessment. 
Uh, Stug also Stug says uh, the Roll Eagle Wartide. Uh, he wants to know what you think uh, Tyreek's Hill's outlook will be with the Dolphins statistically think, this season. I honestly think it's a home run, and and there's a lot of people who doubt Tua and. Maybe just a proximity thing. I just saw that guy in college, and there's a lot of people who doubt him, and there's a lot of people who love him, and I think that the correct assessment is somewhere in between. I think he still has a lot to prove, but there's a lot of people who just for some reason just don't think he can play, and I just don't get it given his college body of work. And like I said, I might just be a prisoner of the fact that I was able to see him for three years, essentially, and then before that he would play his high school ball close by or his brother did. And we saw a lot of his tape and uh, whatnot. They moved close to the, to the Birmingham, Alabama area. I just, I just saw a kid that was, that was ready. And to me, he seemed, to me, he seemed ready to go in every aspect. And people put a lot of stuff on the pandemic and a lot of excuses on the reason why you can't work and the reason why this and this, and the pandemic changed every one of our lives in some way, form or another. I think it, really hit his life in the fact that he just couldn't get with his guys and he just never had a full season with his guys and then his rookie year they do that song and dance that stupid crap with uh uh Fitzgerald of Fitzmagic um and then and then and then they do the Deshaun Watson dance after that he just and he's always steady at the at the podium during press conferences like I just think he's 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 now in the good shape where one it seems like his team's behind him Two, Deshaun Watson finally locked up. Three, Fitzmagic is somewhere else. And it's like, and now, and, and they have a new coach. And they have a lot of chaos around them. It's the Dolphins. They will F everything up because that's what they do. But the thing is, is that I think at some point, they have now gotten to a place where I think they can right the ship. And I think the steadiness is what we will see reminiscent of his Alabama days when he was an All-American. And I think that's the kind of tour that we'll see. Will he be Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow? I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that what we will see this year is the closest version to who he actually is than the last two years. Jeff, I I don't know if you've ever told Gerarda your nickname for uh, for Tua, but you could say it now if you haven't. Yeah, he's Hawaiian (laughs) Tebow. I get why you're saying that two years in. And as much as Gerard is going on and on about loving Tyree Kill, I bet you he's projecting Jalen Waddle to have a breakout year all of a sudden, too, now, huh? I mean, uh, very non-biased Alabama guys here. Oh, two, a comeback story. Jalen Waddle, um, sophomore of the year, MVP candidate, Jalen Waddle. I mean, you okay, okay, hang on, Jeff. Uh, Jalen Waddle, you saw what happened in Knoxville, Tennessee, where he messed up his knee, and to come and have the rookie year that he did, I mean, that's that's pretty impressive. I'm not asking you to buy in on Tua. The Tebow comparisons are a little strong, a little strong. And, and you know what? Tua's Tebow. You'll you, you have to prove it. Okay, well, okay, well, then let me ask you this. Who's who's better? Give I'll, Of these three quarterbacks, rank them. Daniel Jones, Tim Tebow, Tua Tagovailoa. Daniel Jones, uh, t- Tua, t- uh, Tua, and Tebow. Where would you rank those, Jeff? Where would I rank Daniel Jones, Tua, and Tebow? Yeah. One, two, three. Wow, man. Uh, this is like that F. Mary Kill game. <laughs> um, so I guess I'm marrying Daniel Jones. I'm F and Tebow, and I'm killing myself. the the bigger point was is that i think that two is a little bit better than he's gotten credit for i think the breaks have not gone his way but the thing is he has to prove it and and until then you're gonna say that naturally right you're just defending him blindly 
Go back to last season, right? Just be honest with yourself and go back to last season. The Dolphins refused to play offense in a two-minute drill because Tua couldn't do it. That's not good for an NFL quarterback. And the it's offensive not. and that offensive line ranked 32 of 32 in so many different right, right, right. It's all the offensive line. It has nothing to do with the fact that the quarterback can't throw. It can be both, but I don't think it's the latter. I think of the two, I think of the two opinions, the the offensive lineman letting him down was more indicative of his poor play. And I could be wrong on this. I'm willing to be wrong on this, but I'm just saying I just saw what happened in Tuscaloosa when he had a competent offensive line. And I will say this, it is the college level. So I'm going to bring it down. And he had the best coaching there. I'm just saying that now it looks like they solidified the O-line. They got his deep threat. They got a short threat. And we'll see. And 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 if right. by well, listen, by now it, there's no excuses. They have weapons exactly. coming out their ears with Gasicki and Waddle and Titan you're, Hill. You're they 1, 1000 percent I you're want one, you to say Tua sucks. You just call him Tim Tebow. <laughs> no, it, it's it's maddening. These Alabama people—they're just so in love with Alabama players. They can't see that he's. I think I bring Hawaiian you know what. Tebow. I think I bring a little bit of objectivity, but I'm just saying, like, I'm not trying to toot the horn here. I just like a, a little bit of objectivity. <laughs> As you guys know, we are talking to Gerard, the host of the TV show Overtime over there in Alabama. Gerard, we, we're talking about the AFC. We talk about the NFC. We talk about the quarterback play this year, and you were just talking about Russell Wilson, him going to the Broncos. That could yeah. change everything over there in the AFC. The AFC is is the, I guess, the conference that has all the top quarterbacks. I mean, besides mm-hmm. Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers over there, it's really now it's very top-heavy over there in the NFC, and it, it's, it's loaded with great quarterbacks. Josh Allen we were talking about. We mm-hmm. talked about. Deshaun Watson, you know, Lamar Jackson, you have Justin Herbert, uh, Joe Burrow, uh, all these different quarterbacks. There's so many quarterbacks. Mahomes, you look at the quarterback play in the AFC, who is going to stand out this year for their team? As much as I hate to say this as a Patriots fan, but Josh Allen. I mean, to see what he did in the last game that we saw him in, and then the NFL decided, you know what? We'll just tweak the we'll tweak the overtime rules because of what happened here. I think that Josh Allen's ready to pop, and we've seen him improve. This is what you want to see from a development standpoint. The way I judge football is not necessarily based game to game; it's year to year development. And his year to year development has been off the charts. From what we saw his rookie year, we were calling him very inaccurate. He just felt like a like a like a bucking bronco. Like he just had all the talent, but just it never had any clear focus and direction. He was never accurate. He was just he was athletic enough, but not this. He was this, but not that. This, but not that. I think all of the butts that we had about Josh Allen are shrinking and shrinking and shrinking, and we're coming to a head where I think he's going to a place where he might just put it out of reach with his physical ability and where his talent is. You don't think uh, it hurts him that Dable's not there? I, it'll be interesting to see his growth compared to his growth this year compared to what Daniel Jones does from last year to this year. Remember, Dable Joe, changed his throwing motion. He was the okay, one that changed his throwing motion. Right, right, right. And there's there's a lot of people who kind of compare him to like what a golf coach does. You just fundamentally change somebody, and maybe he's able to just use that muscle memory, and then hopefully in the locker room there's somebody else there that can polish that. But we saw. I mean, even the scout saw coming out of college. He didn't go to a big college, and the scout saw he's got talent there. But what what 
what um what Dable was able to do was kind of refine the edges. And so did he refine it just too much now to where he's just going to take off? I think so. Um, obviously, you can't you can't eliminate Patrick Mahomes. But the thing is, is that Mahomes goes in these spurts. And I'm not sure how I think I gave Mahomes a lot. I gave him a ton of credit. And I don't think I gave Andy Reid a lot of credit because I think the the, the, the demons of Andy Reid really followed him from Philadelphia. And so it was just like, oh, well, you just strap him with Patrick Mahomes and this is son of a, a ML, MLB star. And, and he just has all the talent. I think because Mahomes have gotten to these spurts that we're seeing how good the teaching is from Andy Reid. We talked about Justin Herbert earlier. I think Joe Burrow's going to take another step up. I do think losing the Super Bowl, there's we've seen a lot of case studies of guys who lost their debut Super Bowl and then never got back. Mm. Um, Cam Newton being one of those guys. I, will that ghost follow them? I'm not sure, but it's Cincinnati. So Cincinnati's much better. Their offensive line, which is their weakest part of right. their team going into the season last year, uh, it got better in the playoffs, obviously. I, I was very surprised how good the offensive line played throughout the playoffs. Uh, they did have the easiest way to the Super Bowl. But right. um, I think they've added Collins in the offseason. They added, and they're, they're going to add pieces, obviously, in this year's draft. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they try to draft from 31 all the way to 10 with the Jets. I've been hearing stories that mm. they've reached out to the New York Jets wow. uh, to, to move up to that 10th pick. And if that is the case, they could land a lot of good offensive linemen at that position. So uh, are, are, I really think they're only going to move up, not down, I think, with the weapons that they have. And they have a great running game in Mixon. So uh, I, I think what they really – and Jeff even said it too. All they need to do is fix up that offensive line, and they're going to be a Super Bowl contender. They did – they did that. Yeah, I yeah. I mean, I mean – They got Karras, and they, they went and got Lyle Collins. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Fixed it. I don't think they're done either. I don't. I don't think they're done at that offensive line. There like might be even some good interior guys still there in the first yeah. round if they keep their pick. I, I also heard that uh, if, if they do move up at 10, they could be looking for that center. Uh, Lindenbaum, yeah. Yeah, Lindenbaum. That's what yeah. I did here, too. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of teams looking to move up for Lindenbaum because, uh, like I said, the Jets are probably willing to trade that 10th pick if it's worth it to them. Uh, they still keep somewhere in the first round, and they'll add another second-round pick where they're loaded over there as well. They're just trying to add players uh, going into the season because they're. Uh, it's it's not how how talented the players are; it's the bunch of players that you add that can solidify right. that offense. Offensive so, line is right. always a team unit, right? And and I think that Cincinnati is in a good spot now, but I think because they tasted success, the front office is a little bit more eager now to really help out Joe Burrow yeah. and in a way that maybe they wouldn't have had in the past, but they, they, they saw, they see the landscape of the AFC. And I think that they see how close they were last year. And I think they, they, they have a shot it, to me. That division is, go, is going to be tougher though. Uh, I think they, th- this year, the division wasn't, it was, it was good, but you had Roethlisberger who had a step out of the, like he had one foot out of the door. Then you had all the injuries in the preseason to the Ravens. Then you had the mess in Cleveland, which is always the mess in Cleveland. And, and and to me, Cleveland is still in that mess because we're still in this case with Deshaun Watson. And who knows what his situation is. And so, yeah, if they can, I think if, if Cleveland can get their act together and get Deshaun in there, and now we have a situation with the Ravens, if they can get back, just winning their division is going to be tough. I think we're looking at the same situation with the AFC North 
as we did with the NFC West last year. I think it was Tyler last year in our in our preview when I when I joined you guys. Yes, and he, he explained he expected all four teams yep. to make the playoffs last year. And had it not been for Russell Wilson banging his hand and, and breaking his, they, they were still a little bit far off. But mm-hmm. all, I mean, that that team that division. Ha- turned out to be the best in football. I think the most improved division this year is that division, which is the reason why, even though I like Cincinnati's moves, it might be a doggy dog world just in their division. The Ravens also had three corners out too, in addition to the right, three receivers right. too. And they had an up and down with injury, Lamar Jackson. So that doesn't mm-hmm. help either. Exactly. Gerard, Car- before, uh, obviously we have 10 minutes left and I want to keep you on. And I told you, Mar- if Mark comes in, it'll probably <laughs> Mark's be... Mark's just going to come in like randomly and we'll write like about 10 the or probably. 5 minutes. Well, we have 10 minutes left to the show. He'll come 5 minutes before the show's over. Here I am. And he'll, he'll want to, <laughs> you know, obviously talk about the Mets. But um, I wanted to talk a little basketball because obviously the basketball season is over. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's now... You look at the Lakers right now. They fire Vogel. Uh, where does LeBron James go in the offseason? Does he stay a Laker? Does, obviously, Anthony Davis uh, head over to another team being traded? What do you see going into this year's uh, tournament? Uh, what team stands out to you from each division? And what team uh, could be a surprise going into this year's uh, round robin? Honestly, this year, I, and, and people have their takes on the Brooklyn Nets, but I – I'm rooting for the Brooklyn Nets mainly because I kind of like the chaos because there's, there's so many people who think this is, this is going to be bad for basketball and in ways I kind of understand where they're coming from with that. But the thing is, is that you just can't give me the, the two best closers in ball, Katie and Kyrie. And then if they can get a little bit from Ben, ben Simmons, just even if it's, he, even if he doesn't attempt a single shot, if it's just defense and distribution, well, that's going to be a handful. That is going to be a handful. But to me, going into the playoffs, it is easily the the to me the Phoenix Suns. I think that they are on a different level right now. I They're too. playing really, really, really good basketball, and they play these basketball Tebow. Simmons basketball Tebow. Jeff, you think? Gotcha. But at least, at least but, by comparison, at least Tebow will throw the ball. It'll be an interception. If I may, and this is for Gerard and Gerard only without commentary from anybody. All right. Gerard, there's a lot of races, MVP, things like that, the Jokic and beat thing. Gerard, who do you have as defensive player of the year? Oh, defensive player of the year. Um, uh, I mean, Thibault was really good this year for the Nets. Yeah. Um, who's that? He said Thibault Fistings. Go ahead, say it. He wants he wants you to pick a no, no, he, Go ahead. Go ahead. You might as well, because that's what wait, you wait, all right. So so so, so who, it's a leading question, Your Honor. Who's the defensive player of the year? Mm. In his eyes, it's Marcus Smart. So yeah, right. That's another vote for Marcus Smart. That's the correct answer. That's who Doris Burke voted for today. Gerard, you're our big winner. Tell him what he's won, Errol. Uh you won uh, a nice trip to hang out with. Tyler Harrison. (laughs) (laughs) That's for Garage. He's the big winner. (laughs) If Jeff crashes, he might take a swing at Tyler. (laughs) The thing is, is that. And and just so Garage knows, I think I'm leaning Texas A&M for the national championship this year. If Garage was. I haven't officially made a pick, but I think that's where I'm leaning. 
they, uh, Errol's they not going to be happy. He's going to have to watch Jimbo win a championship. Oh, God. <laughs> they, they, Texas A&M well, has all the secret weapon this year. Everyone, everyone's, uh, you know, they're not going to be the normal Texas A&M. They went and got Brad Johnson's kid from LSU. Yeah, the quarterback. I think yeah. that'll make a difference. I mean, what did he do last year? Like, I, I see what you're saying, but I say it's not like he was like some world beater. Um, <laughs> uh, I'll, 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 I'll go back. I'll, I'll, I'll stay. I'll stay on track here. Go back to the NBA. <laughs> what did he say? He said that he wasn't a world beater last year. I mean, come on now. Like he, yeah, like he was an okay. Alabama beater. He's an Alabama, Alabama beater. beater. <laughs> right, Jimbo. Jimbo, who's, who's the only team they beat last year? Alabama. And then they lost what five straight to end the year, whatever it was. Like it's just we we saw Nick Saban's first year, Louisiana Monroe beat Alabama. Bama's oh, Bama's susceptible to get beaten any given Saturday. Why? Because everybody plays up to them. Mm-hmm. And Texas A and M in College Station with the twelfth man and all that, they played up. And then at, what happened after that? And then what? What did Bama do? They rode their way into the national championship game and then got beat by a better Georgia team. So. Texas A&M needs to do it outside of college. If the entire season was played in College Station, including the national championship, you know what? Pencil them in. The Aggies <laughs> are in because they have that trust fund. They got the oil money. They got Jimbo, and they'll win it all. But no, outside of that, I don't. You know, I don't Ron makes a terrific point there too because very. But the team that is the richest team in college football, everyone thinks it's Texas because they have their own thing. Texas oh, no. A&M has the mo- more money than any other school in all the college. You're. Football. you're uh, you're 100% right on that. And I, I, that's something that I don't think your normal college fan knows because Texas has branded themselves. They're the apple. They, they just brand themselves as the, as the big thing. And, and But you're right. Texas A&M has a lot deeper pockets, and their, 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 their base is so ready for them to win. We saw that last year in the recruiting because whew, those five stars getting paid more than practice dummies in the NFL. Wow. <laughs> That's crazy. I mean, that, Alabama, hold on, hold on. Yeah. This is this is going to drive me up a wall. I'm, I'm, I swear to Christ, it's going to drive me nuts. Yeah, is an Alabama fan bitching about people getting paid when Alabama fans have been getting paid for years, even when it wasn't? You guys so, need I mean, the I, more I, than I've ever I am, seen anyone ever do in my life. <laughs> I am. I am not here to moralize college football. We've been doing this song and dance of like, oh, these athletes are not getting paid. It's the same thing as the Tour de France. You mean to tell me that Lance Armstrong was winning clean and everybody else was doping and he was winning clean? No, everybody's cheating. Everybody knows it. It's just out in the open. Now. So, oh, I'm- all right. So we bitch about the A&M guys get, getting paid and then your reference is, well, everybody's it, cheating. Then stop it's bitching. Just, it's just the hypocrisy of Jimbo Fisher getting – watch his press conference oh, from God. two months ago. And he was just – Crying, complaining, crying, getting angry at freaking people that have handles of cheeseburger steak or whatever it is on some. Did you see what Sweeney did a couple weeks ago? I saw, yeah, yeah, I saw where he. Oh my god! And I listen, I like Dabo Sweeney, but he needs to stop. He needs to stop. These people who moralize college football, Dabo Sweeney, Jimbo Fisher, stop moralizing it. Just say, hey, look, yeah, we're in this dirty game, Mm. and our fund, our funders who have deep pockets, paid a whole lot of these people. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. That's fine. Because Jimbo essentially said, hey, we know where those skeletons are buried. We know how they do it. And Jimbo knows because he worked at Auburn. He worked at Alabama. He's worked at Texas A&M. He worked at Florida State. He knows how the game is played. And it just don't just don't pee on my on my head and tell me that it's fucking raining. 
just say that, you know what? Yeah, we do. Like we put a high and then use political language. I never heard that analogy before. It might be a Southern thing. It might be a Southern thing. It's like, you know, it's like, you know, yeah, just don't, don't, don't pee on my leg. Don't pee on my head. Tell me it's raining. Like, just don't lie to me in front of my face when I can see the truth. And that's what Jimbo did. Maybe that's yeah. what happened. Maybe that's what happened to Mark. He was drowning. <laughs> Gerard's from the South, okay? So he's trying to be polite about this whole thing. I, however, will not. Dabo Swinney is a megalomaniac who wants full control over every player and be able to punish them at will whenever he wants. And because he's like that, people want to transfer. People want to go other places. And he doesn't want these people to have choices because he's right. a control freak that wants to just bury people. Right. And so that's why Clemson is always going to suck now. That's why their defensive coordinator jumped ship to Oklahoma, because Dabo Swinney is a loser control freak. I, well, OK, and I, I agree with your overall premise, but I don't think it comes from a nefarious place. I think it comes from that's the college football that he grew up watching and that's the college football that he played in. And he's living in this utopian world where he thinks that that's the best model. I love and your words. Not, Utopian. Yeah, he just he, he believes yeah. in that amateurism. He believes in that because he played in that. He played for Gene Stallings under that amateurism. It wasn't that. It's never been amateurism. But he believes in that whole Pollyanna nonsense of like, no, oh. No, he this, doesn't this believe in that. Like, oh. No, he doesn't believe in that. Because, it, it, listen, your whole argument is premised off of old school football then why is it all the old school guys, and I'll just use Nick Saban, they've adjusted quite well. They don't care. They're like, oh, you want to leave? Go. You want to come here? Let's go. Like, they don't care because that's what it is. Dabo Swinney wants to punish people who don't do exactly what he says. He's a megalomaniac. (laughs) I'll make a simple comparison, and I'll do it basketball. Your comparison is not a wrong one, but your comparison to me is like what Bobby Knight was able to do in college basketball what Mike Krzyzewski and Roy Williams were able to do in college basketball. All old guys that grew up in the old times and Mike Krzyzewski said, hey, you know what? I need to embrace this one and done. He hated it at first, but he said, I need to embrace it. Bobby Knight couldn't. He ended up in Texas Tech and then he fizzled out and now he's just a part of the old forgotten basketball. Mike Krzyzewski didn't. And I think the same thing is happening right now in real time. We're seeing it right now with Dabo Swinney and these current coaches who are able to adjust with the times. All right. Right, but, right, but that's the whole that's the whole point though, Gerard, right? Like people oh, I'm, not, I'm, not defending it. I'm not defending it, I'm just explaining it. That's a good analogy. Right, but, right, but people who know more than one way can do it. Saban isn't just an offensive guy or just a defensive guy. He can right. beat you a bunch of different ways and a different right. bunch of styles. Gabo Swinney only knows one way to do things, and he right. knows that way is dying. <laughs> well, that's a great analogy too, and that should end our show. Utopia, megalomaniac, and dying. <laughs> Three words in the last five minutes all at once. Anyways, we really appreciate you joining us, Gerard, like always. No no, uh, Mark. You say Mark IA, I guess. Always uh, just doesn't show up. He wanted to cry about the Mets and never shows up. So maybe he'll cry about the Mets in his sleep or something. Cause we hey, hey we're, we're six games in. If he's crying now. Whoo, he's crying. He's go. crying. He always cries. Look, look. Can, can, can we get a little bet going here? What's that? Can we get a little bet? <laughs> What's that? If 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 uh, if Tua Tagovailoa doesn't throw for over thirty five hundred yards this year, Gerard must refer to him forever as Hawaiian Tebow. Oh, that's pretty good. Done. 
All righty. Done. Mark it down. Mark it down. The show long. Done. With Tyreek Hill, he might get there by week six. <laughs> oh, God. Oof. Garage, what are they playing? Three games a week? Garage, why don't you tell the fans how they could find you? Oh, we're on overtime. Uh, uh, WOTM.TV is where to go. We, we, it's not an Alabama-based show, but we do a lot of, of course, Alabama topics. Right. And uh, I'm sure like you guys would, uh, with your teams there in New York, um, talk a lot of uh, college ball, some, some pro ball. Um, summertime's really fun because we get to venture out. Uh, but yeah, it's, 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 it's fun. It's cool. We'll hope to venture into gambling. If uh, Bama ever passes that <laughs> talking to you state legislators, but um, we, yeah, so like, we'll, that, that, that's kind of our, our thing right now. Um, we have a lot of fun with it. 30, 30 minute show uh, comes on uh, nine o'clock our time. And then we, uh, then we post it online. So yeah, that's the way to do it. And uh, yeah, love to have you guys on. And, and honestly, Every time I always love this. I was telling a friend of mine earlier today, like I, I love doing this show. I love, Thank you know, being able to, to, to talk with you guys and, and, and you guys have helped us out as well on our show. It, it's just, it's, it's been a beautiful relationship and I'm glad Mark, even though he's not here tonight was, was kind of the hub to make this all happen. Yes. But I, but always. I sincerely appreciate it. And, and we'll get you on it. soon. He's Mark. IA. Go Go dogs. Go dogs. Anyways, we really appreciate you, and we'll we'll be talking to you soon, my friend. Absolutely. Talk to you guys soon. Gerard from the Overtime, great, great guy, as he, he comes on our show and gives us his take in college football, uh, football, the NFL, and then obviously we got into some, a little bit of basketball before we went back to college football because of Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to thank Antoine Harris for joining us. Uh, check out the Sneakerhead University. Uh, you know his his sneakers are fantastic. I'm mm-hmm. definitely going to buy a couple from him. So I'll be reaching out to him soon. And Fangraph senior writer Dan Zaborski for joining us as well. Or Zaborski. <laughs> you know, uh, thank you to all the fans that listen to us every single week. Uh, check out the Weekend Crunch on 103.9. If you don't live in Long Island, you can check us out on iHeart Radio. Uh, every single Saturday at 7 p.m. live uh, as we get into betting, sports betting, uh, with the, uh, obviously, Moneyline Mania and all the great guests that we have on the show. We really love to entertain all the fans over here on Long Island. Um, we will be back next week on Tuesday. Until then, this is Errol Marks and Speedy Beanie saying good night, and we'll talk to you then. Good night, everybody. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.